I really enjoyed the weekend podcast mess weekly podcast massacre episode of serial mom because that's one of those movies that i saw i didn't see all of it but i remember her killing someone with a fire poker yeah and i was like 12 years old (laughs) and i didn't get the black comedy and i just found it disturbing and i i think it was like the movie thinner and serial mom were two movies that I watched like right around 12 years old where like those were like movies I wasn't able to like fully comprehend and digest and they actually kind of fucked me up oh, in some man. ways. Oh, I could see it for Serial Mom like the the black comedy is so um like it's not as apparent as you might think for some of I mean it's pretty goofy at times but also like the violence was not really toned down, you know? No. And yeah. for me being a kid, I just wasn't aware of like satire yeah. at that point. And so I think I was just a, a child. You take everything at face value. Oh, and totally. that just like disturbed me. And I didn't get why maybe my parents were watching it and laughing. I don't know. But I, I just remember feeling like, this isn't funny. This makes me feel like <laughs> sick to my stomach. Right, right. Oh man, no, I I really enjoyed that though. And like listening to Waters's book was fascinating. I mean, he's a fucking this is interesting this, guy. Tell you right now, I've never had a conversation which Josh seemed deemed so boring that he just walked away <laughs> from his computer. But hello, welcome to Nashville, CA. This is your double feature, double weekly podcast hosted by one guy in Nashville, another guy in California. Today we are joined by our second time guest. I thought it might be your third. We got Greg. Third. It is third. It's your third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Drug War in the Raid. That... And then Midsommar and um, uh, Midsommar Revics. and Ravenous, of course. I thought it yeah. was your third. So we got Greg on the horn today, coming to us from the uh, weekly podcast massacre, and Josh decided to just walk away from his desk this entire time. And so now, hey, Josh, how's it going? Hey, uh, we're going to have to do another clap. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, This is is really awkward because I already started the episode and did all the introductions. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, this is this is professional <laughs> podcast, folks. Oh, right. fine. Let me know. Let me know when you're ready to sync clap. This is all staying. In. Oh my god! Oh, now I have so much pressure. Um, I had to use the uh, cable from the my audio interface this morning for a printer. What's going on with your hair today? I don't know. I I took a nap. It's not. <laughs> You have no poof today. Oh, it's there. Okay, there it is. Yeah, there's volume. It is still there. No, yeah, but it's just, say. you yeah. had it draped over one eyebrow like you're a member of the the Belmont family. <laughs> I'm sorry. The... Castlevania. Yeah, yeah. I was saying you uh, look like okay. you fought vampires with your emo haircut. Got it. Okay, this is still not showing up. Hang oh, I'm so sorry. This is so awkward now. I feel like such a tool. This is still incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> Greg, what's your cat's this name? This is JB. 
JB standing for Jack Black uh, from Tenacious D? Yes, so his nickname is also Jables. It stands for a lot of things. It came from my dad suggesting I name him James Bond. And he's like, you can call him JB for sure. And I was like, you know, I just like JB. Wait, yeah. this this is the famous cat that was recently featured in a comic? Yeah, he was featured in Heathcliff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow, kitty we have a celebrity on our show, oh, the yeah. first ever. Greg, one time we almost had a celebrity on our show, and it's not true. <laughs> it's, uh, we almost got the lead actor from Borderlands, a.k.a. Final Prayer, oh, wow. to come on the show. And, and it I don't know what happened, it just fizzled. Josh was Twittering with him. Did they just kind of... Oh. Shit. Well, now Josh is gone. <laughs> well, now, now I can't tell you anything about what the interaction was because I didn't see any of it. Uh, he was so offended you but brought it up. You know, the the actor who was like, I think he's uh, he Scottish guy. I don't know. But anyways, he expressed interest to come on because I was really curious about like the production of that movie. Yeah. And where they shot it and everything and just the logistics of it. And I, I was excited to. I still want to do that with the show. I would like to get random people involved. Like, I wanted to talk to the editor of Everything Everywhere All at Once, but right. now he won an Oscar, so now that's not going to happen. It's potential. Who, yeah, but I, yeah. would, I would like to talk to people who are behind the scenes who, like, never get any accolades. Just... Like, I would love to talk to, like, the costume designer from The Descent. Right. The person who, like, designed the look of the... The lurkers, whatever those things are, they call them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would love that. Recently, I met some behind the scenes people. I mean, I technically I'm kind of a behind the scenes person of, of some stuff. Um, not very exciting what I do behind the scenes, but, you know, uh, but I, yesterday. Hey, man, you 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 are the heartbeat that keeps <laughs> Hollywood alive. Oh, people specifically like, like four or five television shows. Yeah. But um, well, I mean, I did logging. I was an intern and I did a video logging where I literally oh, yeah. just like time that. stamped videos to text mm -hmm. for editors and producers to then consult later. And I was like, even when I did that job in 2008, something like that. Yeah. Even then I was like, surely there must be some kind <laughs> of voice to text application right. that y'all could be using to not be doing unpaid interns for this shit. Yeah, exactly. Hey, and Josh. I think I'm here. Do I sound different now? A little bit. I mean, you look more handsome. <laughs> Aw, thanks, buddy. It's more a okay. comment on your previous state than uh, <laughs> you know. Alright. So you... looking better now. It's looking less shitty. Got it. Uh, yes. Yeah, let's let's do a clap. Let's uh, do a sorry. clap. All right. Okay. Three, two, one. There we Beautiful. go. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I'm going to mark that as clap two. <laughs> clap two. It's like that time the penicillin didn't take and my gonorrhea flared <laughs> up again. Did, did we clear that up? I, I don't mean your gonorrhea. I mean... We already made we already made the joke that the clap is not chlamydia as you would think. It's gonorrhea. I believe the yeah, I believe. Which okay, I speaking of like watching things at too young of an age, I got into Seinfeld in like the last two seasons while it was airing on TV 
which would put me in about fourth grade for the final season. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. And so there's one episode where, like, Jerry's girlfriend gets gonorrhea from a tractor. (laughs) And none of that, none of that made any sense to me. And then I remember going to school in fourth grade. And we had this really nice TA. She's probably like early 20s named Miss Buxton. And she liked Seinfeld too. And I knew it. And so I had read online in the early internet days. It was like, Paul finds that um, uh, people find like love the episode, the contest the most. Right. And the contest is about who can abstain from masturbation the longest. I don't know if I had seen the episode. I definitely didn't know what masturbation was or anything. <laughs> and so I went up to Miss Buxton. I'm like, Miss Buxton, I saw this thing about line and people said that the, the contest is the best episode. And she turned bright red and oh <laughs> turned away from me. And I didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about. And um, yeah, that thus begins my awkward encounters discussing sexual things with people (laughs) now is is that better or worse than uh, i was in sixth grade and had watched when harry met sally and found out that my music teacher had and uh, she was like oh how did you like the scene in the diner like i think she was (laughs) gauging to see if i understood what was happening i was like oh it was really really funny uh, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, yeah. Is a, 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 even just testing to see if you know it, it is a weird thing to bring That's, up to a kid. Like, yeah. She, she did get outed as a drunkard later and uh, and let go of her position. So, Oh my god. I love the term drunkard. Something about it is a little classier. Oh yeah. <laughs> Was that Rob Reiner's mom in that scene? Yeah, the one who makes yeah. the comment, yeah. Look at that little little trivia nugget for all of our <laughs> listeners. But uh, I feel like I should reintroduce the show again. Um, I think this is all staying in. I don't know. But hello, welcome to Nashville CA a second time. This is your double feature, double weekly podcast hosted by one guy from Nashville and another guy from California. I am the California half of the show. My name is Sean. And with me, as always, except for when he finds our conversation too boring and decides to walk away from his computer, is my co-host, Joshua. Wow, I think that's the first time you've called me Joshua. I Yeah, because when I'm mad at you, I feel like when your mom was mad at you, mm-hmm. she would call you Joshua, and I'm going to do the same. It was the whole thing. It was Joshua Adam. I... I didn't even know you had a nickname, a uh, middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua Adam Ickes. <laughs> I thought you were just Ickes, and that's it. Wait, J-A-I. Okay. Uh-huh. Hi, That's When, uh, yeah, you do realize that when the, the, the monitor goes off, the, the camera goes off, and I walk away from this computer, I still exist, right? Like, when you can't see me, I'm still in the world. Do you know what my middle name is? <laughs> um, Shawnee. Sean Shawnee. <laughs> I was just curious. No. Sean Michael Perry. 
SMP. Michael, I did know that. SMP, smoke more pot. How weird is that? (laughs) And joining us as always (laughs) for the third time to tie a record for our show, our third time guest, we have Gregory James. Anthony. (laughs) 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 We got Greg from the weekly podcast massacre. How's it going, bud? Yeah. Hello again. Yeah. Hello again. It's good to see you again. Yes. It's great to be back. I love (laughs) being back. All right. So, Greg, today we're going to be talking about um, uh, Kung Fu Hustle, which you brought to us. And then I decided to watch Super Cop. And... This was a really fun one, I gotta say. I personally, I was saying I haven't watched a ton of kung fu movies. Like, I grew up with some Jackie Chan in my life. I watched Who Am I, which I still love to this day. Um, and I think there was some other Jackie Chan movie early that we watched, but I've never seen a Bruce Lee movie. Mm. Kung fu movies were largely, like, not really a part of my life, but after today. I, I want to seek more out. So, yeah. Um, yeah just, what's your guys' story with Kung Fu? Uh, yeah, Josh, you want to start? I feel like we uh, talked about a little bit with Drug War, but maybe we can refresh. That's right. We should mention that you were here for yeah. Drug War and The Raid yeah. 2. And so... Right. And Drug War's not exactly a Kung Fu movie, but like uh, the, it fits in the, the, the genre of like Hong Kong action films. And, yeah. and The Raid 2 absolutely fits in with today's right. movies. The martial arts movies, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Raid Two is a hell of a lot grimmer mm-hmm. than either one of these. Very movies true. Are. These were, as I read yeah. online somewhere on the Wikipedia, it's like American movies do action with a grimace, and these movies do action with a smile. And I, oh, I, totally. I felt that was very appropriate. Oh, yeah, that totally works for me. Um. I don't know. I apart from like Americanized uh, action movies and um, a couple Bruce Lees, for, I feel like seeing them on maybe WGN on on Sundays or something. Um, it was not until my late twenties, probably before I got into any kind of Hong Kong action movies or um, any kind of kung, quote kung fu films, as it were. So in my mind, yeah. when I think of kung fu movies, I think of like stuff from the seventies, and it's like the bad deal quality and stuff. Like that's when I think of that, that's where my head goes. Is that just I don't know, very overdubbed stuff. And I think I, I when I think in just in my past, I've had a very limited idea of like what kung fu movies are, and I also think that they're self serious. And I forget that like those Jackie Chan movies, it's all about having a smile on your face while he does it. And I mean, we'll get into it more, but I, I love the character that Jackie portrays of himself. And it's kind of like an yeah. anti-masculine character, which makes things so fun. I, I feel like, uh, I mean, my history definitely goes back to Jackie Chan. Like Rush Hour 2 is one of my earliest movie going memories i remember walking into that maybe five to ten minutes late with my family so like my parents were in a were in a hurry to get us down into the seats and i remember like the second we sat down an action scene started it's the one that, en- that ends with him hanging on the bamboo you know, oh the Chinese bamboo, that's very a cool strong. one yeah and then it 
breaks. Um, so that was my exposure to like anything Hong Kong uh, was Rush Hour 2, definitely. And then I think from there, I went back and watched a couple more Jackie Chan movies. Like, um, I definitely went back and saw the first Rush Hour. I think I saw The Tuxedo in theaters. God, that, that uh, movie I fell in love with him. It's it's so bad. And I remember even back then, like even as like a six, seven year old seeing it being like, this is not great, but I'm having fun because it's Jackie Chan. Yeah, I think I was like 13 or 14. And even then I'm like, oh, wow, him and uh, who's your face from Can't Hardly Wait have zero chemistry. Right. Like it, 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 yeah. it's not even believable how little chemistry there is between these two humans. Yeah, but his his appeal in the United States is like insane i mean he had his own saturday morning kids cartoon which is which i i watched religiously like i his the animated jackie chan series i thought was spectacular back in the day and i never missed it um so he like you mentioned the fact that he's able to do all this stuff with a smile like his attitude towards it um i think it was a lot more palatable to uh western audiences than some other kung fu movies and what you mentioned about the overdubbing, like I I think Asiatic films are hurt the most by bad localization mm-hmm. because the language is already fairly hard. Languages are sometimes really hard to translate right um, in their structure. And then just the mismatched voices and the, like, the really bad attempts at, at, you know, at matching lips and things like that. It hurts them more than anything else. Like, you know, uh, I think there's a healthy dose of racism, too, that makes audiences less likely to engage with them, uh, at least like when they first start getting imported to the United States. I watched um, Super Cop. For whatever reason, I could not get Chinese audio for it. So I watched that dubbed. And yeah. I think with Jackie and Michelle Yeoh voicing it, it, it actually benefits. It's, yeah. I, I don't prefer dub, but at least like they're mm. both good actors and so that didn't really hurt but i watched i watched i I watched chinese version of um kung fu hustle and i'm very glad about that yes although i would say the dubbed version of kung fu hustle is pretty good and i think that stephen chow who directed it and wrote it and stars in it um i think he's very wise about uh who he gets to dub his stuff i mean i actually don't know if he gets the pick who dubs his stuff but my first exposure to Stephen Chow, which was my first exposure to like a world outside of Jackie Chan for Hong Kong action movies, um, was his movie before Kung Fu Hustle, uh, Shaolin Soccer, which I it was at a family party. And um, for whatever reason, the TV gets turned on and it gets turned on to Shaolin Soccer. And my entire like me, my, my, my family and my extended family all sat down and were just completely blown away by how funny Shaolin Soccer is. Just absolutely loved it. And it was the dubbed version. And one thing that just really got to us was the subtitles saying one thing, but the ridiculous dubbing saying another. And um, both were really well done and well written, which really helped. And so, like, you basically, when you're watching a Stephen Chow movie, it's so well written that, like, you're getting two jokes at once, two different jokes at the same time if you're watching it dubbed. So I will say watching Kung Fu Hustle dubbed is not a bad move because it's still very funny. And a lot of stuff does translate pretty well. Um, do you have any experience with uh, like the older Shaw Brothers films or any of the other? Um, I recently watched uh, the Ringo Lamb's City on Fire. Um, 
and then Ooh, okay i have not seen that but yeah uh and uh, tiger on the beat um another uh ooh. with um oh chow yun fat and um oh conan lee who there's a there's a chain there's a chainsaw fight yeah, towards yeah. the end of the movie that i'm surprised somebody i'm surprised everyone lived through it it's amazing it's it's it, like <laughs> i was talking about the chainsaw fight in mandy uh because eli doesn't love mandy he thinks it's you know underlit and not a good movie um for, form formally speaking <laughs> That guy, I, man. I love both of you shaking your heads and. <laughs> I I rolled. I I haven't rolled I, I, my I, eyes like that in months, but I I did hard right uh, there. Oh, I yeah, love Mandy. Big ups. Uh, but when I mentioned the chainsaw fight, I'm like, you got to love a movie with a chainsaw fight. And he's like, you know what movie has a chainsaw fight? And I know you're on a Chinese fat kick, and he suggested Tiger on the Beat, and it lived up to it. So it's a long way to say. If Sean wants next steps, if he's into this, what do we give him? What's his homework? Josh, the funny thing is, I thought you were going to say, yes. you know, Chainsaw <laughs> Fight, which means it's a great movie. Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh, 2. I, I do love which part two. Greg loves, and movie. I despise that movie. And so I feel like that, Greg, I feel like we got to get you on the show to talk TCM too, because absolutely. Oh, anytime. Our, our, I, our, our, one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Our conflict between those two, and I feel like we often we don't too often get a, a guest on who like is passionate about a movie. Where I'm like, oh fuck that movie, and I think that would be a fun one. <laughs> It'd be great, and like I, I don't know, it's that type of movie where it is so insane and. Um, is doing such crazy things that I'm glad that it puts some people off. If that makes sense, I mean, just the edge, the the, the little edge lord in me I, likes that. No, but some I, people I can't stand it. I appreciate a work of art that elicits such a strong response from me versus a piece of <laughs> generic mediocrity, which I will forget <laughs> five minutes after I watch yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I get you. Um, so to answer your question, Josh, but where do we send Sean next? Like, it's kind of funny because like these two movies, uh, like Hong Kong action, like it's kind of crazy. We've already mentioned so many kind of different genres. Like you have Kung Fu films, you have a broader Hong Kong action, which often involves like gunplay and things like that. If we're talking John Woo movies. Um, and then we also have mm-hmm. going further back, there's like Wuxia movies and then there's wire work movies, which are their own thing. Like, there's a lot of different directions you can kind of spin in it. And the great thing about Kung Fu Hustle is that it, like, encompasses almost all of those. And then Police Story 3, or Super Cop, has that gunplay element at one point as well. So you kind of get a taste of a little bit of everything between these two movies. And so it's like, if you like to wire work, then you can go to, like, there's a ton of great 90s movies. Like, New Dragon Inn with Donnie Yen is one that I absolutely adore. Um, like, Donnie Yen is the villain in that one, and he it, he's spectacular. Um, I, I'd say if you want the more like ridiculous, you know, sort of Kung Fu superpower things that like show up in, um, the end of Kung yes. Fu Hustle, you have things like the seventh curse or Ricky O, the story of Ricky. Oh, uh, I watched Ricky O in Nashville at Josh's yeah. house. Oh, so that's like Ricky one of the o. few movies yeah. we've ever watched together. And it was, it was, it was a hilarious time. It's spectacular. And, um, uh, 
I highly recommend The Seventh Curse, which is the same director. And that has Chow Yun-Fat and Maggie Chung. Oh, nice. Um, So, I mean, from the wire work, I know we discussed for this episode talking about um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Which is one that I have seen, but I saw it. Mm Mm-hmm. Crouching Tiger might have been the first subtitled movie that I ever watched, oh, wow. or at least the one that I remember 2000. watching. Because when did that come out? 2000? 98? I want to say 2001. Or 2000? So okay, yeah. I was probably 14 or 15. And so, you yeah, know, before then, I, I, I looked as foreign, at foreign movies as being very foreign. And I think that was the first one where like, I had that experience of while I was watching it, at some point, I realized that, like, I wasn't reading the subtitles anymore. Like, I, I, I was almost hearing the dialogue as I was reading the subtitles. And it, it just, I was, that was, I was like, oh, my God, I can vibe with this. But yeah. that would be, like, a wirework version. Um, I've also seen, oh, fuck, I can't remember what movie I was going to talk about. Um, you mentioned a, a, one of the subgenres of kung fu. I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Oh sure, uh, there's like wuxia or the doctors, the gunplay ones. Oh, dude, I was, yeah, I was shocked. I don't think oh. I've ever seen Jackie Chan kill a person before today. This one was, yeah, that, that surprised he, me. This one too. He's yeah. like typically a non-violent, almost pacifist in his movies, where he's um, he's trying his character, which I think is so accessible, is. He's so often trying to do the least damage to people and to like incapacitate them without hurting them. Right. And so <laughs> I mean, to he's... see him shooting a gun and like blasting people today <laughs> was just shocking. Yeah. Truly crazy. And I think that partly comes from like uh, he directed the first two police story movies um, himself. And then this one is a different director. Uh, and I, I think that also is why it, they market it differently in in the West, even though Police Story 1 and 2 had come out in the United States, this one is just tonally so... It's not tonally, like, a completely different thing, but it does have a different feel altogether than the other two. This, this is Stanley uh, Tong. Same guy directed, directed Rumble in the first Bronx, movie right? as well, so... Yeah, yeah. Wild that this was his first. Yeah. yeah, which Rumble in the Bronx was then, like, Jackie's huge breakout I've never, I've never States. seen that one. Uh, that one's really fun. I, I like that more than Super Cop, I think, overall. Um, is that the one where there's a ladder fight? Uh, shoot, no, I think that might be Dragons Forever. Okay, there's some I so I I saw I Who remember. Am I a few times growing up, and I love Who Am yeah. I. I think Who Am I is a, another great Jackie Chan movie, and that's one where he's he's very pacifist in it and his character mm-hmm. and everything. And so I just to see Jackie Chan like shooting a machine gun. <laughs> people and like at the like guard's nest and like blowing people away. I was just like, wow. And it, he, it, it's very brief. I, or I only recall one scene of him killing people, but right. still is very surprising. Um, but Stanley Tong, he did, I think he's done like six movies now with Jackie Chan. And I haven't, you know, some of the Chinese ones that they've done later on, I haven't, I haven't even heard of them. Um, but you know, I've, with Jackie Chan, um, especially with Super Cop, uh, I don't really know how to navigate the political scene of Hong Kong <laughs> and the state of China. So I, 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 right. I, I'm very uninformed about this. However, I do feel like 
super cop is super like pro state pro government we need this like enforcement of law i don't know but i I really want to break down because i'm i'm talking to uh, about this from a place of ignorance right and i mean ultimately i compared to uh, and somebody who would have you know have grown up in hong kong like i am too um but I, i know some facts about it that like are kind of interesting this is a little satirical i think of mainland china and hong kong in a way because you have uh jackie chan coming from hong kong and then michelle yo being a mainland mainland like police officer and a lot of the comedy i think comes from the differences between the two um and the way like their attitudes about it where maggie chung is a little more authoritarian than than jackie ultimately and is more by the book whereas like jackie's often flying by the seat of his pants in these situations and then at the end of it when they had that argument it's the very end of the movie they had to argue about who's going to get the money i feel like there are some shots being taken at both hong kong and mainland china there and how how they differentiate their law enforcement um where like michelle maggie chung is more not maggie Chung, sorry uh michelle yo is more like you know this is for the state this is for the government to, to handle um oh wait but but as far as I recall, it's she says this is for the people of China, but right, that which, doesn't but mean. Because it's, yeah. Okay, because he said this is for Hong Kong, right? Right. But now, but now, correct me again if I'm wrong. But in recent times, Jackie Chan has been more pro-China than the Hong Kong movement. Um, I could be wrong about this, but I think since Hong Kong, like got out from under british rule and it has become more aligned with mainland china but i could be completely off about that Um, listen if if, if you're coming here to learn about like chinese and hong kong politics and stuff you've come to the wrong place Mm -hmm. we're we're, we're, we're doing our best we're doing our best okay yeah uh but i mean you see remnants though of like british imperial rule because like his superiors in hong kong are Mm -hmm. white guys they're white british people um and they make a bigger deal out of that in the in the first two police story movies i believe but um there's still so there's still parts of that like alive in these movies this one i would say it some of the pro state stuff it's funny that i chose drug war because this one it starts out with basically a similar mission being like hey drug smuggling is off is going off the rails here in in hong kong and we need like uh or in china and we need a super cop to kind of come in and break up these drug smuggling rings which is the plot of drug war as well um greg i love i just thought that was kind of thematically appropriate love that you chose <laughs> um i mean you chose kung fu hustle which is a yeah. very different movie but I, I you know i'm glad we chose super cop because i feel like it's a really good response to drug mm-hmm. war in some mm-hmm. ways where i feel like drug war was pretty blatant about its like condemnation of the state in some ways and of of, like the police and the drug war itself and and i know like it presented itself as pro-state and pro-cop but it was very easy to see that like under the surface it was a heavy critique of the scenario right super cop definitely like i felt like the lines were more blurred where they kept talking about like how like 
we need the super cop. We need this like pure authoritarian figure. But then that figure is silly, goofy Jackie Chan, who yeah. who's like a silly, funny guy. And so I, I, I don't know. It's just interesting to see that. Yeah, it's definitely not taking its premise seriously. Although, like, like I said, that there's light satire and all that of like just these like white British people being like, well, drugs, drugs are a problem. We need this like authoritarian fist to come in and stamp it out. And the guy they pick, well, he's extremely capable, as people who had saw the first two would know, like he is the least serious person in the world. And it's like as the face of your authoritarian regime, like it, it is a really funny choice. But like you said, it's it's making light of all this stuff as opposed to making kind of comment on it, I think. Um, and I think that the, the fact that he does kill people, he shoots people to death, but they're drug dealers and drug manufacturers kind of in the eyes of the movie makes it OK. You know, yeah. um, like it's totally fine to blow them away and and have like even like the random white woman who was kind of brutally killed oh yeah action scene it's like well she's allied with the drug runners so it's all good she gets blasted but the one time where michelle yo says she killed a cop jackie stops is yes. like wait did you really kill a cop She's yeah. like, no of course not i'm like well, i don't know you guys are killing everyone yeah yeah um and just i think the portrayal of the drug runners in this too like you could easily go the route of it's an undercover cop story and you could do something like another great chinese film infernal affairs which you know was remade as the departed so it's all about this undercover brotherhood and like uh you know getting in too deep with the with the people you're you're uh infiltrating and things like that but you could easily have that with this one with jackie chan and um i think he's called panther right in the u in the english dub um but a uh, brother Pao in the uh, Chinese mm -hmm. one, you could easily have like a friendship build between him and Jackie, but they never even really hint at that. The entire time, we're supposed to think it's kind of funny that you know he's pulling one over on him. Like you're never supposed to believe they could actually become companions. I'm gonna say something, and then we're gonna move on to the next point. Uh, the person I lost my virginity to gave me a DVD of Infernal Affairs, and I never watched it. <laughs> moving on oh is that bad huh oh I said we're moving on okay <laughs> um, so I feel like we're talking about super cop first um, yeah dude those 90s ass title cards that introduced this movie are just that like 90s where it's like oh look look what we can do like manipulated images with CGI or like yeah, with computer card, we can make all these weird fucking colors and distortions and everything, and the sound design. And it's also there's something about the stock rock and roll tracks used in some of these movies that does feel like AI generated. Music. <laughs> it's just like, there's no way, there's no way a human being sat down and wrote this generic ass piece of music. Right, yeah. Um, it's funny. So I, I like I said, I watched the Chinese version of um of Police Story Three and like uh well at first I turned on I didn't know it, but I turned on the English version and then so I saw this title sequence and yeah, every title card like leaves a screen with a whooshing noise. Yes. Yes, you know? no, they they um, were whooshing left, right, and center for me. Right. 
And then as soon as I noticed that it was the English one, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to see if I can find the Chinese one just because I'm I, I think I'm going to enjoy it more. Um, and so I found the Chinese version and it doesn't have those titles. That was like a westernization I, for American audiences. I read there was about five minutes cut of like some police setup scenes. And at one point there's a scene where yeah. the women at the gangsters hideout they're shown to be drug addicts and yes there's just some like random scenes cut out for the western audience which is the one i watched yeah you actually see like a heroin needle enter like a woman's leg mm. at one point yeah i do i did not like that shot that yeah it pretty was, upsetting yeah because <laughs> oh, Josh, it's not so you stylized watched, you watched the chinese version yeah just for anybody's information uh currently it's up on criterion channel um, yeah both versions are up there yeah Yes. Oh, nice. As the um, there's a Michelle Yeoh kicks ass uh, collection. Awesome. That they have going right now. Yeah, she certainly does. Cool. Mm-hmm. She's yes. She's so fun. And um, I go ahead. I think she over she overshadows Jackie Chan in this movie. Ultimately, like uh, yeah. I would say this is a better Michelle Yeoh movie than it is a Jackie Chan one. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and as evidenced by the fact that I mean. This is the third police story movie, but it's also the beginning. Like she did a, a super cop sequel, right? With just her, no uh, Jackie. After oh, yes. really? Yeah. I right. want to see that. Yeah, she was. I think she was that popular in this movie that like it. It she broke out of the, of a different franchise. So this, yeah, was this the first one to get a Western release in any way? No, I think the first two had come out in the United States, but this was rebranded because it was totally different and i think they could sell um like it, it could it was going to be you probably think they're going to get a, a bigger audience if they didn't allude to two other movies existing before this you know if this was just because it works as a first movie because there's there's almost no reference to past events um like if you watch the first two you you know that you know more about may his girlfriend played by maggie chung and you know about his background as a police officer but you don't need to know anything else in order to like enjoy this really? movie. So I think they've just figured, yeah, they I just had figured no it's a good idea this point. was a fleshed out world. Because like I, I, we, yeah. we meet his girlfriend, and mm-hmm. it was just like, yeah, okay, he just has a random girlfriend who's like not right. been characterized there's, at all. There's and... a there's a lot more to their relationship in the first two, and that was kind of a a little bit of a letdown with this one being a third one is that you don't have more of May because she's a really fun character, and Maggie Chung is like. A Hong Kong cinema legend on her own too, um, so, who's been in so many movies, uh, and then his his boss Uncle Bill is also a recurring character. So you would recommend Super Cop one and two, or I mean, yeah, a police, police story, story one, one and two. two. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially one. I think one is police the story, best one, one. Although two has some highlights, but one is like um, it to me has the most audacious stunts. Uh, and I think there's a reason they get less crazy. I mean, this one has some insane stuff at the end, but Super Cop 2 in comparison, um, like the stunts got a little lessened because Jackie really fucked himself up on, on Police Story 1. And is like, police, he got critically injured is, at the end of it. Is that the yeah. one where he jumps to a bunch of like l- lighting right. ropes? He slides, and, on, like, a, he slides, slides on a pole slides through a bunch of lights. electrifies and himself and shatters mm-hmm. yes glass and yeah yeah that was i think it was that stunt in particular made him slow down for a long time I, you know and, I'm, like, and i'm glad he yeah. did <laughs> right because <laughs> even the shit in this movie terrifies me i mean oh, I, yeah. I, I 
I, I feel like the only way to talk about this movie is to skip around because the plot is oh, geez. somewhat irrelevant when mm-hmm. when looking at this movie. I feel like it, it's largely a spectacle movie and the whole undercover cop story. I mean, and we also talked about it more in The Raid and I feel like The Raid 2 does it better or Drug War does it better. Like, Oh, for sure. We, we, we've yeah. done this before, but the these stunts, my God, the the... The helicopter shit at the end, it made me think of um, Crank, where they they actually got <laughs> Jason Statham up in a helicopter over L.A., but he was harnessed to that helicopter, but they they were filming him up there, like, leaning out of a helicopter fighting a guy. Yeah. But Jackie Chan's not harnessed. He's no, just he's... holding on with his forearm. My God, some some of the shots in this movie, his forearms. And it's like, oh, okay. I see why Jackie Chan can hold on to a fucking... His forearms yeah. are yoked. He has <laughs> massive forearms. Oh, it, he, it, it's, he's, he looks fantastic in this. Yeah, this is like his absolute prime, I would say. Um, it's funny, when you watch Police Story 1 and 2, he is noticeably pretty young in those. And this one is like the Jackie Chan. I think that the world really falls in love with, you know, in this like state. Um, but yeah, that moment when he crashes through the billboard, like, because I I didn't expect him to go through it, and I was just like, he's gonna hit that fucking billboard, and it really stressed me out when he smacked into it. And it's a basketball, um, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I that's the other thing too is like he's got a he's got a cheekiness in his humor that really translates. Like uh, when you watch older Hong Kong movies, like there's there's often comedy to lighten things up but it's either like so broad that it gets a little dumb sometimes or it's so insular to like what chinese audiences would find funny that it doesn't exactly work for a western audience but jackie because he's so influenced by like buster keaton and it's all just like physicality then it really allows it to land like globally that you could show it to anybody in the world i'll I'll never get tired of jackie chan punching a guy in the face and then shaking his hand because yes. it hurt him to punch <laughs> him in the face. And it just, yeah. it immediately humanizes a man who's otherwise explicitly, like, who is a superhero. But yeah, we totally. still feel the humanity in him because he does get hurt. And because, as he does say at one point in this movie, he's like, she asks him if he gets, um, do you do you train by getting bricks smashed on you or something is like oh no i always avoided it i'm delicate it's like (laughs) i i love this ultra masculine character who admits delicacy like he's being delicate and he's fragile and things hurt and stuff and what a wonderful contrast to our american heroes of the time around the same time we had i don't know rambo and terminator and stuff and just humorless heroes who take themselves right. so seriously what a breath of fresh air jackie or, or the humor was. the humor is about how much better they are than anybody else yeah you know, like the like schwarzenegger one-liners that he can kill you and then dunk on you as well <laughs> um but like it's he I has feel like such closest... a grasp on the english language yeah that's <laughs> his second language that he's still able to come up with these one-liners yep Yes, he's a kind of a poet as well. Yeah, uh, I feel like the closest we have for like that self-effacing like masculinity is like um, the closest we can. It 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 makes sense. It's in the style of movie too. But like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China, 
Like because he's best. he's 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 the butt of the joke often. And you have like a more classic kind of kung fu hero in that in Wang, who is the cooler one, who is you know uh, the one actually kicking ass and stuff. Does Jack Burton uh, do anything right in that movie? He catches the knife at the end, you know. <laughs> That's about it, though. Yeah, I still think about when they take they take that drug or whatever, and they yes. get on the elevator, and Kurt Russell's just looking around like. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right now you like, got to come back to talk Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. I yeah. think we've only done one carpenter. Josh was in some darkness. Is that our only carpenter? Yeah, it'd be fun to pair that with an older, with like a newer carpenter that I haven't seen too, you know, because I haven't seen like vampires or like uh, Ghost of Mars. What is it? The Ward? Ghost of Mars? Oh, dude, I'm not talking either. the no. Ward. The Ward's a piece of shit. I'll, I'll talk about <laughs> Ghost of Mars because I think Ghost of Mars is such a train wreck that it's a fun okay. train wreck. Right, uh, the right. Ward, I, I, I think my review for The Ward was just shit. <laughs> I've been a little scared to watch like a lot of later Carpenters because I, I enjoy his early stuff so, so much that like it's the same with De Palma. I don't want to watch anything post 2000 because I, I know some people like De Palma's post 2000 stuff. He's got gems in there, apparently, but like it still feels like a crapshoot to me. You know, did you see um, Cigarette Burns, the Carpenter Masters of Horror episode? No, I haven't seen that yet. I got to check. I that recommend out. that yeah. one. OK, Um. But it's funny to talk about the masculinity stuff. Like, I, th- I feel like it's kind of, again, it, it's it's not co- a coincidental that Jackie does that and does it well, and it stands out because, um, uh, look, all my most of my information about this stuff, the reason that I can even sort of pass as knowledgeable about like Chinese cinema is because I took a Chinese cinema class in college. I think I mentioned that during the drug war episode, and my professor was very, very, very informative although he was just a white guy that lived in China for some time. Um, He, uh, when we were talking about like older Hong Kong and Kung Fu action movies and things like that, he talked about this, this concept of I'm going to fuck up the pronunciation. So I'm sorry to anybody that actually knows how to pronounce it, but Yang Gang, which is it's spelled Y A N G G A N G. And it sort of translates to the new masculinity. And the idea was that in older movies, those sort of like stoic badass kung fu action heroes or like you know martial arts action heroes they are supposed to be like the ideal man and so there's a rampant like sort of uh undercurrent of misogyny in a lot of the older movies and kind of like positioning the man as superior in skill and ability and that that's not like it's not again it's not an accident that Jackie Chan comes along and people start to really like him because he's different and he actually has flaws and has like a more sensitive side emotionally too, um, as well as like physically. Like you said, he punches somebody and gets hurt. Like before, you know, you have guys punching through walls and barely reacting um, because they're supposed to be these like stoic badass men. I thought it was so cool the the amount of room. Like you said, you you feel like this is Michelle Yeoh's movie, and I was really surprised the amount of room this movie gave her. And the amount of yeah. spotlight it gave her. She's not the ancillary character who does like has one or two badass scenes. She's badass throughout the whole thing and keeping oh, yeah. and keeping up with Jackie. Mm-hmm. And in the entire time, he's deferring to her for the, the plan as well. You know, 
Oh, we lost Josh's audio now. <laughs> oh, Josh, are you? You're muted. No wonder you haven't talked in like two minutes. Yeah, no, I no nothing, nothing, nothing. Boy, Greg, this episode. What a, yeah. what a wild I'm, episode! I'm, I'm some sort of curse. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two introductions. Josh has left us twice now. We still can't hear you. <laughs> this is exactly what happened to you, Sean, where it's just like you, you literally in the middle of a sentence just like completely dropped out. Oh, that's because I I know why, though. That That's because when I launched Reaper, which is my um, audio recording software, oh. basically there was another it was set to another input. And so it just like shut down everything. That That's why that happened. Got it. But now why Josh all of a sudden <laughs> just dropped audio out of nowhere this is this is a new one. Oh boy no we can't nope. hear you well josh do you josh do you see levels do, do what you're telling us to keep going no you don't see levels so but why don't going. why should we clap and then and then stop the recording and let you reset your computer. Write me a note. No, you shake your head. No, <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to nonverbally communicate with me, and you're really bad at it. I'm trying to like read your facial expressions and. You, oh, you look you look resigned. Now you you look flustered and frustrated. And you're nodding, yes. But and you're talking. You're talking to me, but I cannot. I cannot hear you. <laughs> <Josh>. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. Hey. I heard you. I heard you. Well, okay. There you are. I hear you. Okay. That's our webcam now. Can you? Okay, well, are you still recording locally through your microphone? No, for somehow that died. I have no idea. Okay. The signal just stopped. Well, let's... Why don't you stop that? Yeah, it stopped. I, let, Josh, figure your shit out. I'm going to go pee. <laughs> okay. I think I'm going to get something to drink as well. I'll be back. All right, thanks, yeah. guys. Greg... Did you go to the bathroom and while you were in there, you put a hat on? No, I was wearing a hat the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. No. I swear. I don't it totally believe was, it. I was. Yep, I was. Does my face blindness oh, extend to the top of the head? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Um, it might, maybe it's just the angle I've been sitting. I don't so, know let's you. see. Like, uh, let me go to my notes. Jackie Chan is rocking that Jay Leno tuxedo. <laughs> Top to bottom denim. Uh, he looks fantastic. I mean, he looks great in all <laughs> denim, though. Yeah. Uh, at one point, he's talking about his backstory, and he says, he al it almost sounds like he says, I live in Wuhan and worked in the COVID factory. <laughs> I believe it's coal factory, but still, it was close enough for me to be concerned. Uh, <laughs> um... And again, like the part where he's doing the 
he's becoming like a model for the state and they're like taking photographs yeah. of the super cop or whatever and he's willing to kind of like sacrifice his masculinity and wear makeup or whatever it, it just i like his character i understand nowadays like if we want to talk about jackie chan and recently especially with like hong kong protests and stuff again and again i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about but i do know that he's been far more on the pro-state side of things than far more on the democratic people side of things recently that's all about all i know yeah uh i i know i'm also not too knowledgeable i just i know he's caught some criticism but like people have said that he's always had somewhat dicey views on things it's what it seems like but yeah, it's, it's a world so outside of what I know that it's impossible for me to comment on. I, I just want to bring it up to acknowledge the fact that yeah. we, we do acknowledge it, but we just Don't are just enough. too uninformed right. to actually talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And hey, I wish more people would do that. I wish more people would just say, I don't know enough about it to, yep. to say anything about it. I think that's a healthy thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Um it's 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 all it's all so complicated and like these movies in general like they're never ones to look to for like typically not good ones to look to for like good good politics usually um when you watch a lot of older ones like you know like hong kong and china they were still heavily dealing with like imperialism and fallout from world war ii and when you watch older kung fu movies so so many of them have like an evil japanese villain that'll show up just to get killed off they'll show up just to murder a bunch of innocent people and then die horribly because there was a rampant like anti-japanese sentiment in in chinese films for a long time because of the atrocities that the imperial japanese committed before world war ii so it's it's motivated but yeah i watched ip man a few months ago and um it's like really cool movie, really cool fights and everything, and also felt like a massive piece of propaganda. Mm-hmm. And totally, but I'm also very aware of like I wasn't aware of them when I was growing up as a kid. But the amount of American military propaganda yeah. movies that I consumed as a kid that I was not <laughs> self aware of is mind blowing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not too long, not. Too many years ago for a podcast that was going to be talking about it, I watched the animated uh, G.I. Joe movie from the 80s. And, you know, I I had G.I. Joe toys growing up and stuff, but I feel like I never really watched the cartoon. And then when I watched that movie and I was like, oh, this was just like a military recruitment ad for, you know, really young kids. (laughs) Like, that's what G.I. Joe was back in the day. And like the Cobra, Cobra as a villain, it's so like thinly veiled like arab bad guys you know just Mm. like it's Mm -hmm. it was really ludicrous so it is interesting to watch these movies and be like you can so easily spot it as like okay this is propaganda but it's like well i grew up watching all the same stuff it just it was tailored to my culture instead greg in 2002 or so i played america's army which was the pc game released for free by the army where before you even get to play online in combat modes, you have to go through basic training uh, and rifle market ship training and parachute shit and all this stuff. And I, I played this whole thing 
<laughs> but I also there was a brief point in time where I thought I wanted to be a helicopter pilot, and I met a helicopter pilot, and he's like, "Well, you got to join the army. That's the only way. They're the best helicopter school. They're the best ones around." And then I honestly, the thing that deterred me when I was like sixteen, where I, I thought about joining the military, I was like. Uh, the military probably won't let me play video games, huh? <laughs> that was the thing that I was like, ah, I'm not going to join. They saved your life, man. Video games save lives. They do. Yeah. They do. Um, what do you think about... So, like, as we get into the first big fight scene, as Jackie Chan goes into that, like, martial arts school... And we see uh, the guys rolling around in those big circular cages behind them. That was really fun. And I... Yeah. And this is maybe the most like traditional like kung fu fight of the movie, too. Where it's it's just one-on-one. And there's like some really, really impressive uh, choreography there. But it's not like these kind of... When you get used... You, get, you see a lot of, you know... It's not like the Bruce Lee, like a one versus a hundred type of fight. It's just two guys sparring. Um... But I really liked it, just kind of getting you on a baseline of what Jackie's skills are and seeing how competent he is when it comes down to it. like that he could call a timeout and just mm-hmm. be like, oh, all right. Yes. We're and going then- a little hard. How does how does this big ring thing work? And the guy right. immediately is like, they're immediately they're a bit of both like friends and comrades again. After they were trying to like full swing, 100% knock each other out. Now there's yeah. like, oh yeah, let me show you. You put your hands up here, you put your feet down here, and then we roll you out. And the fact that they roll him out of the building and he goes <laughs> through the doorway, that's very silly. Immediately undercut anything badass he just did, yeah. Um But I no, I really like that. And I honestly it's kind of strange that there's only really like what you would say maybe four big action scenes in this movie. There's like this if you kept a sparring session. Then you have like the prison escape, you have the fight at the restaurant, uh, then you have the drug camp raid, and then you have the big finale. Like there's not much else beyond that, you know. Um, what's kind of funny is that the other police story movies, I feel like there are a lot more between the big action scenes. You have gags utilizing like Jackie Chan's abilities. So there's a great part, and I think it's in Police Story One. There's a running joke about him trying to get a good parking space. And there is times where he is pulling off insane stunts, like drifting his car into this parking space. to like beat this other guy trying to get it. Or then yeah. other times where he's like using Kung Fu to knock the car out of the way so he can then park there and stuff like that. Um, so I, I feel like the other movies do a lot a better job of showcasing like all these various skills that Jackie Chan has for a comedy, you know. In Who Am I, there's an awesome scene where they're being, there's like a car chase and they're in a little uh, Mitsubishi and they they basically do like a 270 degree turn <laughs> back into a parking space and then turn and turn the car off and, and duck and then the other car flies by. There's some really cool stuff. Who Am I is a wild movie. That's the one where there's yeah, like. I got to see that again. There's that building that has like a side glass ramp and he gets into like a kickboxing match with one guy's a puncher. The other guy's a kicker, which is great. So like you get like your kick fight with yeah. him and then you get like a punch fight with the other guy and it's- then he has to go down the side of the building. And 
Who Am I is one that I watched a lot as a I kid. I think that's Benny the Jet as the kicker in that one, right? Or am I thinking of a different movie? From the Sandlot? No. <laughs> <laughs> Benny the Jet yeah, Rodriguez? The yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's a, there's a martial no, artist. Wait, 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 Benny wait. The Jet. Yeah. Greg, I genuinely thought that's who you were talking about. I didn't, I was, I was wildly perplexed. Oh, man. Man, okay. At the end of the Sandlot, I mean, we already covered it on the show, but when yeah, I, I've listened. Yeah. When 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 Benny the Jet gives Scott the thumbs up up in the booth, God damn it, my little heart, my you. little heart can't I take feel it. You. That was one. Oh, I it's opening saw. day, by the way. It's opening day, and um, oh yeah, I'm, I'm right. missing. I am missing the podcast. Happy opening day right to be talking Aww. to you guys, but I'm gonna watch it on replay. So I'm I'm going full information blackout. <laughs> and I'm going to do something I've never done before, which is watch a baseball game after it's finished. Wow, man. Oh, it, is, it means a lot that you would miss that to, to talk to us about these movies, you know. Well, I, I, to be, I to be the... fair, the game was scheduled for 1 p.m. today, oh, and then see, they I all see. of a sudden bumped it to 6 p.m., and so I, I had scheduled the podcast around it, <laughs> and then they hate me. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> y'all are not that important <laughs> just just today uh i joined like a group chat with some some friends about possible about planning out which dodger games we're gonna be going to so so you can we follow so you can boo them yeah exactly <laughs> yeah sure yes <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> so i think i will be following the baseball season closer than i ever have before because now i have like a social investment in in following and them. do you know do you know about the rule changes this year no, no, I haven't heard of this. There's a pitch clock. Now, oh. the game's fast. They're doing a lot to speed the game yeah. up. So now in spring training, the games were 30 to 45 minutes faster. They're doing oh a God. lot to okay. speed the game up, and there's no shift. So I'm really excited. Small ball baseball's back. Stealing bases is back. No more oh. just strikeouts or home runs only. And it's going to be just a quicker pace game. I'm so excited for this season. We should, okay, Josh. Yeah. We hey. should. We should do a baseball episode where we talk about like Major League and the Sandlot with Patrick. Wait, we already talked talk about Major League already. Wait a second. And, ma- and Major League. And Major, I'm sure. and Major League with Patrick. Yes. No, wait. That was wait. Was that with Patrick? Patrick. We talked about Wayne's World and. No. Wait, who do we talk about Wayne's World with? Patrick was Wayne's Is World. Is that right? Right. I, I have listened. I've listened. Did to we these. talk? Yeah. About- who do we? I I think Patrick has been on twice. Is that is it accurate? I don't know, but I'm proud of us. The fact that we've now gotten to enough episodes that it's hard to remember. Sometimes <laughs> I think about like, oh, we covered that on the show. What movie did we pair that with? I have no fucking idea, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> hey, am I wrong that you paired the Funhouse and Major League? No, that's no, that didn't absurd. happen. That's ridiculous. Okay. I didn't think so. I didn't think so for some <laughs> reason. I think I just listened. To, I think I just listened to those episodes like back to back or something. Then that would be a hell of an episode. <laughs> uh, no, the fun house was. Oh um, fuck! I, I don't know, man. I oh, talked to oh, Josh. Gremlins, Gremlins two. Gremlins two. Yeah. I, I talked ah, to Josh shit. recently okay, about okay. how the fact that we are approaching seven concurrent days of content 
where to, to <laughs> listen to our show would take a literal week. And oh, so that's amazing. It feels good, but it also Yeah. I don't know. I I I went on a date recently with someone and I told her that our podcast has an average length of about <laughs> three hours. And she's like, but <laughs> who has time to listen to that? Like, oh, you break it up across a work day. Yeah, no, it's easy. Yeah. Spread it out and lonely people. I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, I, I have time. I have time for them. I, I listen yeah. to like hours of podcasts a day. So, oh, so yeah. I've been listening to a lot of the the suspense is killing us. Oh, yeah, it's they do like eighties and nineties thriller and uh, right. Suspense yes. Okay, yeah. This was recommended to me when I was on the the big crossover thing with Five Day Rentals and stuff. They recommended that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I it's want to check that out show. for sure. It's uh, I, I recently mean, switched hosts, but it's it's very long. They do. Uh, yeah, triple, I love that. Yeah. I have been pushing on my own show that we do longer episodes because there's just times where it's like, but I have so much more to say. I can, yeah. can go on for another hour. And uh, but my, my co-host Murph, like he edits everything and he's like, I don't think I have time to like <laughs> edit two and a half, three hour podcasts every week. Like that's just an investment. He, he so can't pull I off think right now. where our show changed as far as us used to be extremely long was we used to do more plot recap. Right. And I found that yeah. was boring and we'd get bogged down in it and so now if we run three hours it's because there's a really in my opinion we have a lot to say about something yeah i I think we've found a much healthier balance now where two and a half hours now seems to be more our norm but every once in a while we'll hit a movie like ravenous or whatever where i'm going to do it such a deep dive on the soundtrack Right. <laughs> we're, we're gonna go over three hours with it i don't I mean, know i i think we uh, found a much better pace where we we're not doing i don't know i thinking back on some of those old episodes and the amount of plot sorry i was doing um yeah but you know we, we were finding our feet finding the vibe of the show speaking of so like oh. as we move forward like we got that whole coal the coal factory scene what a cool zip line. I that's the, that's, the zip line yeah, is that's a major highlight. It's insane. And when it when you see how far it goes. It's so high. Like, and it's like yeah. three miles long. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Uh I mean I'd like to mention that the guy he breaks out, like Panther, aka Brother Pow, I, I did not know this when we selected both Kung Fu Hustle and Super Cop, but he's the landlord from Kung Fu Hustle. That's uh, what? Wa Yuan. Yeah. Really? Wa Yuan, I think so you say his name. Right. And he was like a uh, extremely prolific Hong Kong stuntman who has worked with Jackie uh, before this. They did Dragons Forever together where he has got a really great fight scene in like a factory with, with Jackie in that. Um, but I think this was like a bigger role for him in, in like a Jackie Chan movie. Like actually getting like a speaking role and not just like an opponent for him to fight. Um but yeah, he's he's great in this. I love him as like the bad guy. Like he's appropriately sinister, and the fact that like, uh, you know, they talk up his brother, uh, Chai Chai as I was pronounced as I was spelled. I mean, but um, or Chai Bat. Like uh, they talk mm-hmm. him up, but Brother Pow ends up being like a great villain on his own. 
like when he executes the guy <laughs> when they first get back to the hideout for like losing that shipment of drugs or whatever like that you know he's he's a good bad guy in this i like him a lot yeah sean you look deep in thought man <laughs> i'm just thinking about the man cross-dressing as his mom with two water balloons oh as yes boobs when all the cops are in Wuhan in the village trying to pretend that they're his family. <laughs> I, his I, love, boobs, I love Bill. His boobs fall out, but they don't just fall out. They sag like the rubber stretches all the way down to the ground. <laughs> uh, I like that part where um, somehow they use chairs to pin people like jackie chan is like in like a crucified position where they have his arms like through the back of a chair and that's yeah. when michelle yo jumps out of the crowd and starts kicking ass and i was really excited to see her role evolve in this movie because when she first starts she's in full-on like state uniform and i was like oh bummer she's gonna be like that uptight state representative character right but then mm -hmm. it, it's not that at all. And I, I, I just, it was really fun to see her become more and more prominent in this movie and say, oh, wow, they're not, she's not even like an ancillary character, but she is a co-star yeah. of this movie. I mean, like at first you think she's just going to be like his contact, you know, the yeah. one giving him the assignment. But the fact that she also goes undercover as a sister and has to get in on the deception um, it's really fun, and yeah, that fight she has in the street when you really first really see her kind of like let loose is really incredible stuff. Like um, fighting multiple opponents, and you know, uh, just re really showing off how badass she can be. Uh, and then like right, and then going on the rooftops and faking the killing of the other cop and things like that. Um, she's and like, so there's one, yeah. So there's capable. a moment where like Jackie kind of defers to her. Where what is it? Does she throw a chopstick? And it's a weapon. Mm -hmm. And then Jackie Chan throws yes. a handful of chopsticks and they just bounce <laughs> off everybody. And like, again, like for Jackie to, to defer and to def like, to not, to, to um, shed his masculinity, to shed that like macho image for the sake of comedy and for the movie is really like cements him in my mind is, what a wonderful character. Like it's it's why like Seagal or Van Damme have never really hit for me outside of like you're kind of a novelty. Right. But I don't like you guys because you just seem like douchebags in your movies. And like <laughs> Schwarzenegger eventually developed a, a, a sense of humor about himself. Yeah. But I don't like a self-serious hero. I, I will say I'd say there's a there's a little bit of um, Van Damme is a is a bit of a weird one. He has times where he's a little self reflective and can present I, himself as kind of jokey. Have, have you seen JCVD? No, no. The movie? I've not seen. Josh it. and oh. I have talked about JCVD. It there's there's one scene, Greg, that's fourth wall breaking no oh boy it's incredible no it's it's amazing okay, it's okay. like it's like jason it's, it's jean-claude being completely self-aware about 
who he is <laughs> and his career and everything. And I only saw it once, and now I'm really worried that I'm like conflating this moment. But I really think it was like a fucking brilliant moment. I, I, we gotta, we gotta watch that. Josh, can you add that to our show list? <laughs> a J, uh, oh, G- yeah, I'll put, I'll, I'll put it on the um, document. But what? I, one... I don't know. Was that, was that sarcasm? Because <laughs> I'm like genuinely asking <laughs> you to note it. I got an envelope here that I write that's our, our stuff on. That's our show's document is some random ass envelope that you're going to throw in the trash? Eventually, when it gets full, and then, then I'll get a new one. Wow. Good lord, man. Good lord. Good lord. I love it. Very lo-fi way to, you know, to run a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lo-fi way. To... But have you, have, you seen, have you seen Sudden Death? It's like a 90s action movie he did. Uh, JCVD where uh, that one he's playing a fire marshal in Pittsburgh who basically it's die hard in a hockey stadium um, yeah, oh, but that yeah, is yeah, one yeah where yeah. I think it was initially written as like mostly a parody of action movies and then somehow JCVD got in there and he tried to make it a little more of like a serious action movie but it still has like a parody element at heart and so there's a big action fight scene he has in the middle of it with a guy in like a mascot chicken costume that is one of the silliest fucking things you'll ever see. But it has some of that Jackie Chan energy of like taking the piss out of his masculinity a little bit. Um, and so JCBD, he sometimes could approach like, you know, the attitude of like a Jackie Chan of, well, I don't have to look badass all the time there. I can I can undercut myself and come off as funny instead. You know, while also still performing cool stunts. But for the most part, I don't think he did that purposefully. Have you seen the images from him on the set of Predator? Yeah. Oh, yes, in the cot. Yeah, in the cot. That's cool. Yeah. It's. And I it's, mean, I think he. It's, wait, what? It's cool? The. the It's shock. It's shockingly bad what that movie would have oh, been right, yeah. if Jean-Claude Van Damme were the Predator. I think when you, when you see, because you only see him like wearing like the red version, which was like the special yes. effect marker. When you yes. see like the final design, it's not so bad, but it is like far, far worse than what we eventually got. No, but I'm picturing an extremely agile, like spinny Predator. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and it makes and, no sense. And it's, yeah. just, it's just too fast. And I mean, like uh, talking about like you know, maybe Jackie's like uh, it, the, the way that his, he treats his characters in his movie shows possibly like a lack of ego or like a um, like a self-awareness. Like, I think Van Damme left that movie because he was like, I'm going to look stupid and I don't have I, I'm not going to come off as cool and I'm not going to get to show off my abilities and that sort of thing. So, yeah, they kind of are. They're, they're really different Dude, in that regard. Th- these modern Action stars, Vin Diesel's, The Rocks. Oh. These guys who are so fragile yeah. that they have in their contracts, I can't lose in a fight. Yeah. It's like, you fucking pussy. That's that's the weakest shit ever. You think that makes you cool, but that makes you so fucking lame. No, seriously. That you're so fragile that your fictional character can't get beaten up. Like, where is your fucking head at? You're an actor. Yeah. You're playing a character. Oh, yeah, but my character, I wouldn't do that because I'm Vin Diesel and I'm fat, but I try to pretend I'm 
muscular. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, it's like, I, uh, we we had a good moment yeah. with the with the beginning, like with the first Die Hard, right? Because you have an everyman who turns into an action hero. You have like I mean, right. he's a he's a cop to begin with, but he becomes something more. But he's still weak through the whole thing, and like he gets the shit kicked out of him in that movie. Um, and he like cries about his wife. It's great. There's a great moment in that. Yeah, that's uh, why we love yeah. him. And then you see through the next what twenty five years. Uh, of doing those movies where he just becomes another stoic uh, and not in the cool Michael Mann way. Like just this kind of stoic badass who uh, never really takes damage. Okay. I'll tell you what Bruce Willis, when he was holding on to his thin hair Mm -hmm. in Die Hard, he was wonderful. And then, but it's just a real shame when these guys, they have this thinning hair and then they eventually decide to just buzz it really short to like compensate for and just like basically say like, fuck it, I'm done. I know my hair is done. It's just a shame because they lose something about their personality and they, it just, and I feel like their work just suffers. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, there's something about like, I think as do we do it. What, what? Um, I hope. I hope the joke landed there of me being a man with the name. No, I thought you were being so genuine about recently... this, but you felt a lot. No, I was okay. Okay. No, I wasn't because this is what I'm going through, Greg. Look at this. I've gone down to a number one on the buzzer because <laughs> yeah, but you're not you're not an actor who has to like no. But you know. I will say I I will say Bruce Willis lost his sense of humor as he well, lost. I, that's his the humor. thing. I think I think there was so there was so much truth to it. I didn't recognize it as a joke because it's like <laughs> no. I was I was talking yeah. shit about myself, but I do believe it at the same time. Like he. He lost the ability to laugh at himself. Right. And those movies, I watched that one with Justin Long. Like, I love, Die Hard 3 is, I it, fucking love Die Hard I haven't seen, I That's haven't seen it yet. so gotta... fucking good. It moves and it's funny and he's the butt of jokes and he's still an asshole and it's so good. And Jeremy Irons and Samuel L. Jackson, I love it. And then Die Hard 4, which came out like 10, 15 years later. He was just like this stoic, self-serious asshole, and Justin Long is a hacker, and he's he's a superhero. It just it sucked. It, it it lost all of the vibe of what made that series special. Yeah, I getcha. I mean, it just they didn't. It's it's like that ego thing. Like I was just mentioning, it's like we have to appear. It's like as he went bald, like he had to adopt like a really, really tough guy persona because it's like, I dare you to make fun of me being bald, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And it just comes off as a, he just becomes like weirdly more standoffish and everything as opposed to like actually charming or, you know, or funny. Have you, have you guys seen those? Oh shit. What's the Stallone movies with all the, all oh, the, the expendables. guys, the untouchables? Oh, the expendables. Yeah. Expendables. I was going to talk about that the untouchables later. untouchables is later. I was going to talk about that series um, a little bit later because it ties in the, I think it has an interesting, like, it is, it is similar stuff to Kung Fu Hustle. I'll get to that I later. was, I remember I lived in Colorado. There was a meadery nearby that made mead. Oh. So I went there and I did a mead tasting and I, I came home with a bottle of mead. 
And I sat down and I'm like, fuck yeah, Expendables. Let's go. I'm excited to watch this. And then as I watched it, I progressively angrily drank (laughs) drank an entire (laughs) bottle of mead because I was angry at the movie and everything that it squandered Mm -hmm. and all of the potential that was there that was just completely smashed and the generic bullshit and Jason Statham fighting guys on a basketball court. Right. And I, fit, I I drank a whole bottle of mead out of spite for that movie. And I got drunk, and it was a sugar drunk, and I woke up feeling yeah. terrible, and I was just like, you fucking, that fucking Expendables oh, movie. Um, I, I do, I do want to like save some my my thoughts about Expendables until we get to Kung Fu Hustle, because I think there's a cool tie there, but... Um, I want to mention that this movie has. I recently, I know it just kind of aggravated Sean when I whenever I talk about it online, but I recently became a big Bond fan. Um, only at the beginning of the year, I watched all of those movies and like got really into them. And I will say, there's two Bond actors in this. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is in um, The World Is Not Enough. She's like the main Bond. She girl. does motorcycle stunts. Yeah, in that movie, and right? apparently she similar. Yes, to this and one. apparently she didn't know how to ride a motorcycle going into this movie. Um, yeah, really? she learned it for that stunt over the train, and then she is she she learned to ride a motorcycle yeah. so she could jump exactly. on a train. Onto a train. And then by the point of one, in one of the bloopers, <laughs> it looks like she went. Off yeah, she the did train. It multiple times. It seems like yeah, yeah. They I think they tried to do it without like a harness mm-hmm. or without wires first, and then they wound up doing it with wires because otherwise the angle, the trajectory. There was a whole Twitter thread about this the other day uh, because there was a back and forth about, oh, she doesn't actually have martial arts training uh, because of her Oscar win this year. Uh, There's a lot of controversy about what she had and hadn't done in the past. So, Well, yeah. I mean, when you watch Terminator weird. 2, that motorcycle jumping off That's the bridge. That's not Arnold, yeah. It, it's so, and it's not Arnold, yeah. and it's so wired that it's like, a linear descent down. It's right. not a, like a parabolic descent as gravity would be, you know? It, it seems crazy to criticize her for like, oh, she's not trained no, dude, because in, she's still pulling the, these stunts off. I mean... She's pulling it yeah. off. She's running along yes. roofs. She's sliding down roofs. Right. At one point, we see in the in the blooper reel, mm-hmm. I believe it's her that jumps onto the hood of yes. the red car. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's her. not a stunt that's person, actually, right? Yeah. And then somebody tries to grab her, and that person eats shit too. And it looked like the person that tried to grab her ate shit harder right. than she did, falling off. And the I think car. I may have seen. And Jack and Jackie just kind of like, yeah. I think that? I may have seen that same Twitter thread, Josh, because I think they talk about that moment, and it's like Jackie grabbing her and the other person, like almost definitely saved their lives. Like he he slowed them down just enough that they didn't hit the the, the pavement going full speed. Um yeah. But the, the other uh, bond actor is Kenneth Kenneth uh, Sang, I think how you say his name, as Chaibot, who is in Die Another Day. He's like the father of the villain in that. Um and then in Kung Fu Hustle we have yet another Bond actor oh. in a small role. So I just wanted to get my, the, the Bond connections out there. 
please do. So just we move, we just move along. Yeah, we'll again. just we'll just power through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I do I do think that Kenneth uh, Kenneth Sang as the villain is fantastic. Like he's so evil when you meet him. Like and it's it they introduce him as almost a joke where he's playing video games and then um, in the Chinese version at least we have like oh hey the bikini girls downstairs just OD'd and he's just like well get rid of them I toss their bodies who cares uh-huh. and well yeah he's what, like whatever and he says we can use them to smuggle more drugs purpose the trash or something <laughs> it's horrible yeah um, I I like when they that when Jackie first shows up he's like show up and he's like oh go dump them in the sea <laughs> yeah, the cops yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right but yeah i when i was a kid i loved maybe it's all started with the wizard but anytime i saw characters playing a video game yeah in a movie i was so excited to see it <laughs> just like give me the video game oh footage. yeah i get you and now here i am 30 years later twitch Watching people play video games, I'm like, <laughs> finally, my time has come. Um, I, I think he's he's great though. Then when you get to like the the scene where he's meeting all the other drug lords and the and the the farmers, like he does a great job of like owning that scene and running that meeting, you know, and um, like that whole assault thing, the fake dynamite vest, like he is such a fake dynamite yeah, vest. He's is a awesome. wonderful, wonderful villain, like a really good actor. He's he's really cool. Uh yeah, during that like fake dynamite vest thing, Michelle Yeoh gets held up by that blonde woman, and so she kicks yes. her in the vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, randomly, I feel like there's a critique of the U.S. military because there's a room full of U.S. Army bullets and grenades and everything in one of those huts, and that's what gets blown yep. up. And... and the explosions are fantastic. To huge, huge explosions. great explosions. Yeah. Giant fireballs, which were uh, the only thing I could really think of that remind me of this was um, uh, Rambo Two. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great point of comparison. And as weird as it is to see Jackie Chan use a gun, like he looks pretty badass on that mounted heavy machine gun. I know, but it was just weird because yeah. I always just I, I I honestly thought throughout his whole career he may have never killed someone, even in the Rush Hour yeah. movies. I think. All of the villains die incidentally. Um, I, he's he. Go no. Go well, ahead. The thing is that kind of the other thing that kind of saying is in is he's in Rush Hour Two as a character I don't remember, but according to MDB, he's Captain Chin. Um, so this is not his only time working with Jackie Chan as well. Uh, yeah, oh, I could cool. be wrong, Josh. I don't even remember, but I think the villains at the end of Police Story Two die in another massive explosion. So I wouldn't. I don't yeah, know if Jackie so. kills them, but it's not the first time in a police story movie that the villains get killed off. It it's very Batman. Yeah, like like he causes something which might cause people to right. die. But but this is directly. like directly you see him fire a gun and and like mow down goons. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good squibs. Oh yeah, amazing. A lot squibs. of good squibs in that yeah. scene. Um, the other thing, but I I have to mention this too. But that police story too climax it's in this warehouse where there's a there's like blue barrels everywhere and he's fighting all over like catwalks and you know people are they're they're throwing each other down like different floors of this factory over and over and and um apparently jackie chan based that climax he he based it and choreographed it to be like you're inside of a pinball machine 
So people are being bounced off of walls, bounced off of barrels. It's like hitting the barrels. It's like hitting dr- like targets and things like that. Um, and I, I just I love the, the, that that idea of we're going to do a, a kung fu fight inside of a pinball machine. And this is how you like visualize that. It's it's fascinating. Speaking of now, pinball machines, we're going to get a bunch of pinball sound effects in our mm-hmm. next movie during one of our fights. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I got I got isn't the oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask Greg, the the end of Dragons Forever is very similar to the end oh, of Oh, yeah, Story it's, like, 2, it's, right? it's like the same location, like, basically. <laughs> yeah. It okay. looks like it, at least. Okay. Yeah. yeah, got it. It's. I was just like, I just watched that, but I haven't seen Police Story 2 for a while. Uh, but no, it was Dragons Forever I watched not long ago. Yeah, makes sense. After this, I got a pool party in Malaysia where he runs into his girlfriend, and it's very... Funny when he's trying to hide from his girlfriend, and it's I haven't seen a recliner like that where it's those those vinyl oh, yeah, slats. Yeah. But seeing Jackie Chan hiding from his girlfriend and his nose is sticking out <laughs> as he's face down in that recliner is very silly. And then um, so she's talking on the elevator, and this is when one of the the other goons hears about it, tells him. And uh, that breaks things down with him and his yeah. undercover. I feel like thing. this scene, this whole segment's a little more in line with the other police story movies. Like a lot of them are these sort of like comedy of errors things, especially when it's involving his girlfriend. There's a lot of push and pull, like versus his police life versus his life with her. In his other ones, um, like I remember, there's a there's a point I think in Police Story Two where uh, they're being held captive by the bad guys. And uh, they read aloud a letter. I think it's a letter that he wrote to her. And it's a, it's a very, very touching scene where they really highlight the, the romance between those two. And um, I, I have a huge crush on Maggie Chung. I think she's gorgeous and like is a brilliant, brilliant actor. And so like I was really missing her in, in this movie until she showed up again in this segment. Um, it feels a little shoehorned in just to add some stakes to the third act with them taking her hostage. But I was just glad to see that they didn't completely sideline her. Yeah, it's uh, seeing her and yeah. Michelle Yeoh and Jackie Chan all in the same scenes together. It's like there is just a charisma oh, bomb yes. in the middle of this <laughs> resort. I'm like, uh, both women incredibly beautiful, like just very striking and. Uh, and then Jackie Chan yeah. with his like affable goofiness, and then the, and the bad guys all look so <laughs> greasy and like like uh, just like you would expect. They're almost out of um, the Miami Vice playbook of you know like yep greasy suave oh, fake yeah. bad guys. So I love it. I would. I mean, my only other real comparison for a Jackie Chan movie of this era would be Who Am I, which is a movie I love, but I think. It, the acting is not great. Like it, it's a stunt movie, and then you get through the acting. <laughs> and this one is is a little more fleshed out, yeah. and just I and I think what I that's it's definitely Michelle Yeoh and Maggie who, Maggie Chung, yeah, Maggie who like bring it more and. But as we get into this final kind of last bit here, and we get down to the street and. We start to get out into the the street chase. There's one stunt where there's there's that that van that's oh, driving yeah. off, and there's two motorcycle guys, 
and they both slam their motorcycles into the side of this van and their bodies slam against it. It's like, there's no movie magic about this. There's no... Yeah. There's no special padding. Maybe they had, like, some foam in their butt pads or whatever, but, like, my God, some of the hits that they're taking making these movies... It's it's incredible and I love it. And it also really concerns me because I'm 36 <laughs> years old right now. Sometimes I have like lower back issues or things and I'm like and I I haven't been thrown off a two-story building onto a table ever in my life. And so I'm like <laughs> it, it's just incredible. I and I don't know. Stunt people need recommend, recognition. Seriously. Yeah. For sure. It's it's incredible what they but do. It, Jackie Chan's whole team, like that, worked with him, and I love that you get to see them in those in the it's bloopers. At the always end. the best part yeah. of his movies, and they're so delightful and happy, and and I, but the camaraderie, I love the camaraderie and the mm-hmm. teamwork, and and the spirit. Ah, it's so good. Sorry, Josh. Yes, I love them. It's, but you. Like all those guys play all of the other parts so that right. they can get the crap uh, beat out of them. Totally. You know, what I mean, like his his brain trust I, of stuntmen. I was just saying. So, um, I just love that. I'm surprised I haven't brought it up before now because we we were talking a lot about like modern action stars and things like that. But I just watched John Wick Four the other day, and absolutely loved it. And it's not the same way that Jackie Chan does it, but. Keanu Reeves does like allow himself to show vulnerability beyond like the masculine badassery of whatever he does. Um, but in, in this regard, talking about the stunt team, uh, I was just seeing some kind of trivia that he gifted each stuntman on the crew like a sweater, I think, or a t-shirt or a jacket or something that has the number of times they died in the movie on like sewn onto it because they're playing all the goons that he is like beating up and shooting. And so a lot of them die like dozens of times throughout the film. And so like, you might get a jacket with like <laughs> a 36 sewn into it because you died 36 times. Um, yeah. And he, I mean, he's absolutely somebody who like That's awesome. will never not take the opportunity to talk up the stunt team and how, how important they are to the process. Is this the best mm-hmm. helicopter stunt? Probably. I, I mean, I don't know what else can compare. Oh my God. Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout, maybe, yeah, Fallout's cool, but there's but 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 they're all inside yes. the helicopters. Yes. And also, just when I think this is absurd enough, they involve a moving mm-hmm. train. And the part where the, the the ladder gets caught on it, maybe I like, took my breath away for a second. Like I I was yeah. my mouth was open and I, I felt my like heart racing that moment during and this then bit. when you s- and everything is real yeah. and just to know everything is real and the shots of looking down at Jackie yep. swinging and the landscape is moving so fast beneath him it's shocking yeah. and it's real and it feels visceral and it's just it, you just know you it it's fucked up man this one is a little more like it it, it still worked on me like fully but this one's more like a you know done in editing i think but when he is swinging on like that 
that pipe towards the moving helicopter plates. <laughs> like, that is yeah. fucking crazy. And then Michelle Yeoh has a fight scene right next to the tail rotor, too, when it's still going. Like, uh, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. They truly find every single way to, like, draw attention out in these things. As, and it's still moving fast. It's not like, you know, it slows down to build tension and then amps up. It's just tension throughout all these little little bits of it like, coming through. Um, yeah. How wonderful is that comedy bit where Jackie Chan is going to fight the big muscly guy <laughs> on the train? But he sees the sign coming, so he does almost like... I, I saw a bit of Drunken right. Master. So it's almost like he does that whole like Drunken Master routine <laughs> just to delay. And then the way he sits down yeah. and puts his cheek, his chin, and his hands to watch this <laughs> man get smashed by a sign, and he winces. Oh, it's, it's, it's just... It's really yeah. delightful comedy. And then the way this all ends where... I mean, I'm assuming they did just put a helicopter on a train and then run it into a like a bridge right like the ending that just it's just how they did yeah i would not, i would assume so they don't they don't anything, seem to do right? models or any, no they they their attitude seems to be just go full yeah. scale and then it has the good sense to be like well there's nothing we could do to top this and we have to go out on a high note so the movie just ends minutes later like it ends so fast. Yeah, exactly. It ends Monsters so fast. Dead movie's I haven't over. even caught my breath. And they're like, oh, here's my Swiss bank account. I think the money should go to the Chinese people. I think it should go to yeah. Hong Kong. <laughs> and like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, but then the breather is the oh, bloopers. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you catch your breath. And I think that's really, I don't know. God damn it. These these blooper reels just fill me with like what love and passion yeah, for totally. film exists. And it, it just really warms my heart in a way that's kind of hard to describe why. Except it's just the amount. Everyone seems so happy. Right. And so into it and so passionate. Even as like. Uh, in those things. Even as like deadly these, these things can be and look um because I mean, it's like i don't know it's it's like jackie chan showing you like hey this is what we all put ourselves through to bring this to you you know um like that we actually are risking ourselves just for the sake of your entertainment and there's something crazy about that i saw a recent tweet or something that said like when you see what jackie chan was putting himself through to make these movies and entertain you like you're fearful for his life but it is like you said it's heartwarming of like jackie did that for us you know and it's like thank god he didn't die um you know during that helicopter stunt and things like that but then when you like hear about the stuff tom cruise does it's like well if he did die it's unfortunate but it'd be spectacular <laughs> like it's it's kind of cool you know it's uh... well in the bloopers we see <laughs> stanley tong the director right hoisted up on a plank of wood about 150 feet in the air on a crane. Oh, yeah. Sitting up there filming with a camera. Yeah. And um, one scene I really loved in the movie that made me laugh, and then all the bloopers, is when Michelle Yeoh is wearing the bulletproof vest, and she's firing the gun and leans forward, and he catches her by the boobs. Yeah. <laughs> and th those, those outtakes were, were just a delight. Yeah. I, I think, uh, oh, man, it, it really does. It's, it's so much a part of the movie like those blooper reels and like i love that they're not afraid to just kind of like just show you a peek behind the curtain be like well we caught this insane moment on camera we have to put it in somewhere um i think it humanizes 
Jackie Chan in such a way. I really yeah. feel like those blooper reels are integral to him becoming popular in the United States. Yeah, I think and so. Like in Western countries. Right. Um, because it shows how f- he's e- even he's just having fun, even when he like gets hit or something. Unless he gets really fucked up, he's usually laughing. If he takes a hit or a kick or whatever, he usually laughs it off. Yeah, I think it's in the, in the same way that like the reason that Bruce Lee became such a phenomenon here is that, um, you know, a slightly different in terms of the stunts, but the fight scenes that Bruce Lee was doing, it's so obviously Bruce Lee pulling off these insane uh, bits of choreography and martial arts. Like you see it's him kicking guys through walls and like, do, you know, using the nunchucks and end of the dragon and things like that. It's like it it has a it has like a feeling of genuineness to it that a lot of a- American action movies didn't at the time, um, where you see that like oh Bruce Lee is like a true badass compared to other action stars in, like the seventies. Like Roy Schneider and his action movies are like Gene Hackman. You know, that's a combination of just like, you're using a gun and you're shooting somebody, and it's nowhere near as impressive <laughs> as the stuff that Bruce Lee is pulling off at that time. I feel like. Gene Hackman, it's like, yeah, you smoke half a pack of cigarettes, you <laughs> yeah, eat yeah. a ham and cheese sandwich, yep. and then you're running around New York City in a car or whatever. I mean, I think that's the other thing, is that we didn't have, like, the muscular action heroes of the 70s, right? I feel like that really kicks off in the 80s. Bronson, kind of, yeah, like, Charles Bronson was kind of right. thick, and, like, those... But they're not doing... He's not doing anything physical. He's everything is like. Yeah. Well, there's that. I'm, I'm only thinking of that one street fight. Oh, hard times, which I love. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. which you is know, great. I watched yeah. that in a history class, and I've always meant to rewatch that movie. I, I absolutely loved that. I watched that in the past couple of months, and I like adored yeah. it. I thought it was. It's. I think that was awesome. brilliant. Yeah. Um, I've never seen a Bruce Lee movie. How about that? I. It's interesting. The one I've seen of a, a, a few. I haven't gone like through all of them yet i've seen end of the dragon i've seen game of death which only half counts because that's the one he died while yeah. he was making and they only like 12 minutes of of bruce lee footage exists but it's absolutely amazing what they do have of it and the rest of the movie is such a horrible patch job um but it's still it's still okay i i'm not the biggest fan of end of the dragon i think that bruce is obviously really cool in that movie but as a movie itself it's it's like all right, you know. Um, like John Saxon's fun in it. It's it's very, it's very um, it, just the idea of the levels and everything yeah. is it's it's cool, but it's kind of like right. Bland. But there's there's much there's, there's much better like, like tournament movies to compare it against. Like um, one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's like for me a high mark of like kung fu stuff. Uh, it's ridiculous and it's silly. It's got some problematic racial stuff in it, but um, Master of the Flying Guillotine is a brilliant like tournament movie that revolves around like a kung fu tournament happening, and I'm pretty sure it's the basis for like the idea of Street Fighter because it is just like a bunch of fighters from around okay. the world are all coming together to compete, and you have like an Indian guy who has the superpower of stretching his limbs out and things like that. And that's also like it's very Mortal Kombat because they kill each other in really violent ways during the tournament. And um, there's a guy who has what's called a flying guillotine, which I think was like almost a real I think it might have been a real weapon or it's based off a real thing. But it's a, essentially 
a cage that like unfolds on the end of a of a chain. You throw it, the chain has blades or the, the cage has blades on the inside of it. It goes around somebody's head, and when you yank it away, it decapitates them. And um it's a ridiculous movie, but it came out around the same time as Enter the Dragon, and I think it blows it out of the water. Uh even though it doesn't have Bruce Lee, who is cool. That's what I gotta give him. Greg, for a second when you said it's a martial arts movie mm-hmm. that's racially problematic. Yep. I was so excited because I thought you would be the first person ever to be like, and it's Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. <laughs> because I love I love Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. It's Fred Ward. Yeah. It's awesome. But it's also Joel Grey in complete Asian makeup <laughs> doing a compl- like Korean character. And it's yeah. like, it's unforgivable. Right. No, but I love it. Master the Flying uh, Geetine has Asian actors in like Indian face, which is really okay. bizarre. Yeah. Before um, we move on from Michelle Yeoh, which is kind of why I wanted to watch this movie because of mm-hmm. my love for everything everywhere. And I wanted to revisit Crouching Tiger. But um, what what did you think of everything everywhere, Greg? Because I know Josh and I talked a lot about it on our like 2022 recap sure. episode, but I just want to get your thoughts on it. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I think like it, it has a sense of humor that I think works. So maybe like 85% of the time uh, for me personally. And I thought that just as a baseline concept, it was very inventive uh and i thought that like i was seeing a lot of blowback on twitter at least when it won best picture and was winning all these awards like best editing but i do think the editing is generally so impressive because at a certain point you have about seven eight different like things going on concurrently that they are i have no idea how that guy kept all of his footage it, it, yeah, no, it, it, the editing was yes, mind blowing. It, it was it was great, and I think that Michelle Yeoh is fantastic. I think that um, Ki Hoi Kwan is so deserving of winning an Oscar, and that he was he was phenomenal. Um, I do think that, like, as I get, I I do want to revisit it. Um, you've seen it one time. I saw it the one time in theaters. Yeah, and I didn't go as crazy for it as some people seem to have but i do i did really enjoy it i think primarily i was just kind of comparing it to their previous movie swiss army man which i think is brilliant is so phenomenal oh yeah that that pause no i'm sorry pause i was like you were either gonna say awful or brilliant i greg i love swiss Army. yeah i think it's great i love that movie i've seen it like three or four times and each time i i walk away from it like you know feeling a lot uh swiss army man is a profound examination of friendship and the fact that we live in a meaningless existential void but friendship and love and people who are there for you and for who you really are is all that matters and like people who just like who are there for you and enable you to be yourself and mm-hmm. like that's the message I, that i get i know there's some weird shit but I, ah, it's, and so the daniels are just it's that love I guess, message yeah. i watched everything everywhere i watched twice in theaters i took friends to go see it and then um i i took a half eighth of mushrooms <laughs> and watched it at home 
And so I recommend for you, my friend, do a half okay. hate of shrooms and then w- and watch it for your second time. It's it's a it's the perfect shroom movie. I'm telling you, <laughs> I can see it. I can Daniels, see it. Daniels, Daniels, and shrooms just go <laughs> like this. Um, I think where I am a little hard on everything everywhere is just that I think that it's not. Uh, maybe the shrooms will change this this opinion, but I think it's not as like thematically cohesive as Swiss Army Man was for me. Um, when you get to the ending of it, and I, I maybe it's the pacing of the movie too. It's it's fairly long. Um, when you get to the ending of it, like I think the relationship between um, Stephanie Shu and Michelle Yeoh is not resolved in a way that I found believable for their relationship and how tough it was. You know, being about like a young woman who is struggling with like coming out to her parents, you know, and how she is viewed by her parents. Or I think she's already out at that point. But um, I don't. Th- I think in terms of being a movie about that sort of relationship it doesn't resolve in a way i found believable or like satisfying you know like i don't know something about it it's like i don't think i well it's it's complicated i think (laughs) i think i think what the movie does to acknowledge your perspective is it has that moment with her telling grandfather girlfriend And then Stephanie shoot is like, yeah, that's yes. easy, but that's great. Whatever you've done that. And so I, I feel you. And I think that's kind of the movie's right. Acknowledgement of that. One critique, of my, maybe? my roommate locked himself out. I have to go let him in. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> Let's rate this thing. And then we'll move on to Kung Fu Hustle. So Josh, what would you give? Super cop. Police story three. It's rough because um, just for the stunts and the fluidity of the action and everything, like I just want to rate it high. It's charming. It's it's fun. But is there is there much there beyond that, or is is that all that it needs to have? I'm getting really existential with with this particular rating for some reason. No, I, I I think I'm absolutely in the same boat with you, and it's the same boat I am in with Who Am I? On mm-hmm. a lesser extent, but it's like, the movie is a vessel for the stunts, and the plot never really holds me much at all. I enjoy the performances at times, but... I, 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 at no point did I really care. I, I, I barely had any idea what the plot was <laughs> to this movie. I figured there's like, okay, there's some boss and eventually uh, they, they're going to take him down or whatever. Like it just, yeah. it's not deep. So, I mean, I, I, I jump in front of you. I, I'm going three and a half where it's like the stunts are four and a half and the, I don't know, three and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm landing on three and a half. I I think I'm rounding up because of the stunts to four. Um, mm-hmm. When you, and you're right, I think that like the story is so sort of like thin, and um, it's not like Police Story one and two are these like grand epics or anything with these deep emotional stories, but they do have more to them in terms of the characters. I I feel, uh, but I I want to say for I I really think that Michelle Yeoh is 
she really, really pops in this. And um, like by the like I said, she overshadows Jackie Chan for me in, in this movie, which is no small feat. Um, and so uh, and then just the the audacity to end it the way it does. And I think that I also really love a lot of the other performances. Like, um, again, I think that both of the villains, the two brothers are really, really good. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I just get such a pleasant feeling all the way through this movie. And there's never a moment where I'm like bored or just wishing something would end. I think there's, so, like you said, it's very charming, like Josh said. And yeah. If, if, if we didn't have this movie, we wouldn't have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I, I, I can be forever, forever yeah. grateful to it um, for that. But yeah, I, I think for different for for various reasons, like it's about on par with Police Story Two for me, which I, I don't like as much as the first one. I think the first one is is the best of the franchise so far that I've seen. I haven't seen Super Cop Two, and I think there's even more beyond that. Um, but like uh, Police Story One to me is the best balance of them of like really wild stunts and like a actually a pretty good engaging story. Yeah, there's more. um, uh, He doesn't have a huge arc, but uh, um, Jackie Chan and uh, Maggie Chung getting together and like that balance is it's a lot more. It it gives you something to invest in. Like you said, I think in that second one, that letter scene is really totally effective uh, as well. So it, it gives more weight. I think it gives more weight to. If you've seen those two, it gives more weight right. to their relationship in this and, one. Yeah, this as is well, much more of a mindless action movie, but like, and as far as mindless action movies go, like, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else is pretty fantastic? The second half of this podcast, which is coming up next after the break. <laughs> sure. All right, five minutes. All right. Hey. What up, Greg? Hold on, let me turn off my sports. <laughs> Who are they playing tonight? Uh, you know, I don't even know. I'm going to watch. <clears throat> I, I'm in blackout mode. That's actually. I was just listening. To, that's one of my weekly sports mm. podcasts I listen to. Um, Yeah, I listen. I don't watch a lot of sports, but fucking hell do I listen to a lot about sports. And I think it all stems back to my dad listening wow. to Jim Rome when I was a kid. And like, I just, my dad would fall asleep every single night listening to like yeah. local sports radio. And I think genetically, <laughs> something about that sunken man, because I listened to about... Monday through Thursday, there's about three hours of Dan oh Levitard show. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there's about an hour of Bomani <laughs> Jones. Uh, I I don't know, man. I, I God damn, I listen to a lot of it. And it I might love it. I eat it up. Listening to talk I about sports might help me get more invested in stuff. You know, it's not. Th- <laughs> but I'm not invested at all. That's the thing. I don't care at all. <laughs> I never watch anything. I watch Padres. Oh, like that's about it. 
<laughs> and they never talk Padres. Uh, Greg, are you a Dodgers fan? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, kind of by default, just because oh. I live here. Um, I grew up when I when I grew up, my dad was much more of an Angels fan. So like, I was. Oh, aren't you an Angels fan still? I, no, I am. I'm still an Angels fan. I went. I I went to uh. Maybe just one Angels game last year, but I went to an Angels game last year. I um, I, Craig, I like them. Yeah, Craig, <laughs> the Dodgers are like the Axe Gang. They're bad. <laughs> and with that intro, we're going to be talking about Kung Fu Hustle next, directed by Stephen Chow, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Starring, written, directed by uh, Stephen partially Chow, and com- Gra- partially composed by. He has a credit for the music oh, wow. too. Yeah. And I had heard about this movie. I had never seen it. Greg, you presented this one to us. This was your choice. Yeah. T- tell me about it. Why are you passionate about this one? Um, like I said, like uh, I feel like my introduction to Hong Kong cinema outside of Jackie Chan was uh, Shaolin Soccer. I watched that with a lot of my extended family. We all had a great, great time. And... Um, it was around that time I had watched it on TV that I had heard uh, that there was another movie by the same director coming out uh, called Kung Fu Hustle. And I did not see this in theaters, but I, I distinctly remember the trailers playing a lot on TV. And um, the marketing for this was like, you know, it's it's uh, like Jackie Chan meets Looney Tunes. It's It's, you know... Uh, very Looney Tunes. They really amped up the Looney Tunes connection. And so I just remember the trailers looking very, very funny. Um, this was a really early DVD that we owned. I still had that DVD. I watched it on that same DVD. Uh, so it was in a really bad, like, 4x3 full screen version um, on my big, you know, 50 inch TV. So it was super boxed in when I watched it. So I, I really need to upgrade that. But um, I watched it all the time on DVD once we finally got it. And uh, I I just really fell in love with its sense of humor, first and foremost. And as I get older and watch it more and more, I realize like, how much the music impacted me in particular, in addition to that comedy. Like, those two things just really stuck with me. Like, um, each time I see it, I'm like, oh, right, this music track is kind of just like, in my head a lot just just like it's a default thing i hear in my brain all the time is the music from this movie um particularly like that big kind of like epic romantic score at the end when he's like reunited with the girl Uh, i think that's just a beautiful like piece of just grand you know orchestral score that really sells the emotion of that scene um and that and then the two musicians when they are playing the like the sinister deadly music that music is just so incredible to me and um is one of the better best ways i've seen like diegetic score used in a film where you don't even know at first that it is diegetic it just seems like it's it's the aesthetic of the scene that is you know that the music is that motivates that music then you realize oh no it's being played there in the alley and not only that it's their weapon and it's such an incredible weapon and the way that they physically are playing the instrument has is is so incredible. The other thing as I get older, and I'm so sorry, I'm just taking the space to just talk about this, but like it is your movie. This is why the show I, exists. <laughs> when I learn more and more about um 
like Stephen Chow as a director and what he did with with this film. Like I said, the marketing in the United States really just focused on it's like Looney Tunes and Kung Fu, and it's silly and it's cartoony and it's goofy and it, you're just it's just meant as a dumb comedy. But then when you learn a bit more about the history of Hong Kong cinema, and you realize that this is this is the Expendables of of kung fu movies. So um, this I'm going to talk again about this this Chinese cinema class, but I really do think that I learned a lot in it. But um, it was literally the first thing we did sitting down in those classes. We all walk in at the appointed time. The professor's like, "Okay, we're just gonna uh, you know." I'm Professor So and So. Before I tell you about the class, I'm going to show you a movie first, and then I'll talk about the class because the movie is going to give you context for a lot of other things you'll see in the class. You know, a, a general idea of everything we're going to see. And so immediately he dimmed the lights and he played Kung Fu Hustle first thing. No other pretense <laughs> for it. Like not even telling us, hey, we're watching a movie day one. And then afterwards, he used all the rest of his time to kind of explain the class. Because Kung Fu Hustle, like, beyond being, like, a great encapsulation of, like, Kung Fu cinema history, it's also referencing so many other facets of, like, Chinese film history, too. Like, um, the entire idea of Pigsty Alley and having this sort of, like, class drama going on there with the landlords and the tenants, that's a reference to a famous Chinese play-turned-movie um, that was really popular in, like, the 60s. Uh, all of the characters are these archetypes that like are really popular in Chinese folklore or Chinese like uh, pulp fiction, but just all mashed together into a single movie. And even the Chinese title of the movie is literally just Kung Fu. It's not Kung Fu Hustle. It's literally just this is Kung Fu the movie in in Hong Kong. And um, so many of the actors are like these screen legends that you would only recognize if you were into Hong Kong cinema. Um, the actors like the landlady, uh, who I'm again probably butchering the pronunciation, but Q Q Yen, um, she came out of retirement to play this, and so it was a huge deal to have her come back. Same with uh Bruce Lung, who plays the Beast. Like he had, you know, he was a massive star in the '70s in China, on par with like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, and um, him coming back to to movies was a huge deal. Uh, all of the three masters that you know defend the the the, the pigsty alley, their style of fighting is was made famous in various Hong Kong action movies, and so seeing the three styles together is a big deal. That's like having Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and uh, who is another one uh, from those dumb movies? Uh, Van Dam. Van Dam. It's like having the three of them in a single movie. You know, it it is like it is a big big deal to Hong Kong. Um. To Hong Kong action fans uh, that you would only get if you were Chinese and watching it. And so the fact that it is so insular to, to Chinese film, but also had this global appeal to be a massive hit in the United States, you know, and um, get such a big release is such a crazy feat to me. Uh, there's some on, American references like there's a what million. You, what are you yes. prepared to do, which is the untouchables? Yes. And there's there's parts that that montage with all the still frames and everyone in the the hats and everything yep. and the Tommy guns feels very untouchables. Oh yeah. And then there's the Godfather reference about an offer he can't uh-huh. refuse. And yeah, I didn't realize how many references there were in this movie, yeah. but it's all 
over the place. And even the the Matrix, I didn't realize timeline-wise, but they're saying that the final fight is Neo versus the Hundred Smiths, basically. I think it's the same... I think it's the same choreographer. I think it is the same choreographer. Yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like, um, the... but Greg, I want to say that <laughs> this movie—you were talking about the humor. Yeah. I laughed out loud more watching this movie <laughs> than I have watching a comedy. Yeah. In a long time, and I know like comedies, there's not a ton of comedy movies anymore, but this movie's genuinely funny. And oh, some absolutely! Stuff. And like, I, I, I know. Oh, you know what it is? This came. There's an Ace Ventura two moment. In Ace Ventura two. Yep. There's a part where a guy, Ace gets hit in the leg with a spear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he asks his friend for another spear, and he, the guy throws it <laughs> into his other leg, and he's screaming with two spears in his knees. And I was cackling at that scene where the guy throws the knife and bounces off the roof, hits him in the shoulder. His friend throws another knife. It goes straight into his other shoulder. Yep. He throws to throw the third knife and then reaching back for the back, <laughs> stabs his friend and just throws the handle. Yeah. That's fucking I, I mean, then that's capping off and dumping the snakes on him too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then um, the, the box of snakes. Yeah, <laughs> but just like this idea that, like, again, we talked about Jackie Chan having that Buster Keaton influence, but there is like this silent film sort of like philosophy of comedy to this, where like the physicality of it is just going to, tr- it's going to hit no matter who you are, no matter what background you come from. It's going to be funny to see this, like these people be buffoons, you know? Um, if, if this movie had... A feeling that I really got throughout this was like, man, the the confidence of this director to yeah, know exactly. what he was going after and what he wanted. And it starts like immediately with like that pink shot when the, there's the cowboy gang in the street and everything is so stylized and pink. And then you get like the army marching sound as the axe gang comes in. And it's just like, yeah, right off the bat, it feels cartoony. Right, yeah. But then, like I said, the whole thing is this massive love letter to just kung fu cinema. At the same time, it's also pulling from so many other sources. So, like, the the police chief at the beginning, the one that's just kind of sitting by silently as the crocodile gang leader is beating up the guy, um, that the police chief is a is a famous Hong Kong director. And then the, the leader of the crocodile gang that gets his leg cut off is another famous director making cameos. And again, these are only things you would ever get as a as someone in the, in the Hong Kong audience. So it is 100% like fan service for Kung Fu fans, the movie, but the fact that it is so good on its own, that it, it then is a global success is so crazy to me. I mean, I think again, like the expendables trying to do a similar thing of like, it feels so much more cynical in the way of like Stallone just being like, well, I need to like be popular again. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to gather all these people that, you know, are also associated with like 80s action and we're going to kind of put them together into a movie, but the movie doesn't really satisfy it in the same way that those ones did, you know, Um, like it's just missing something. It's a little too like self-aware and of its time, you know, those Expendables movies like I think Schwarzenegger's barely even in the first one, right? Like he's kind of a glorified cameo in that. And 
Nobody's willing. Yeah. Nobody's willing to be punched down in the Expendables. And And that's the problem. Nobody's willing to sacrifice even a moment of their ego. Right. For the sake of the story or for comedy or anything. It's it's like everybody has to be this like stoic badass, you know, but like the cool thing about one of those 80s action movies, like Rambo is a lone wolf. That's why he's cool. Mm -hmm. It's because he's one guy out there in the jungle pulling all this off or like, you know, he's the dangerous one that like you go after him. He's going to set these traps and well, whatever. And in first blood, he breaks down and cries. Yes, and exactly. Balls yeah. at the end of it. And that's why he's endearing as a character is because he feels human, even as he feels like this kind of like, you know, death machine or like, uh, you know, product of war. And it's like self-reflective about our role in, in, uh, in Vietnam and things like that. And then like how veterans were treated coming home. Like there's, there's a lot more going on. Where they see expendables, it's like it's just you know bad spectacle. It's not even good spectacle. Whereas Kung Fu Hustle, like they're also taking great care to make the actual Kung Fu fights like really compelling and well done. Um, the first big one where you have the moment with uh, the three masters coming out to defend Pixie Alley, that was actually directed by another really really famous Hong Kong actor and director named Sammo Hung who um, has done a, a ton of great movies and is like still today just like living legend in in Hong Kong. Um, and so it's like the fact that Stephen Chow is like, all right, I'm stepping aside directing this scene. I'm giving it to a true master director who knows how to do this stuff. And it really pays off because that scene is fucking incredible when the three masters are revealed for the first time and you like see exactly how they fight and how their styles differ. Um, the, the I mean, moment I, I love I love shout out to uh, the baker, the noodle yes. man and, <laughs> yeah, and using yeah, his donut giant yep. rolling pins to yeah. beat, beat the shit out of people. And oh, then yeah. you got uh the tailor and uh the guy I when he kicks that bag of grain from mm-hmm. the ground up onto his other giant <laughs> yeah, pile the, of grain. The coolie. Yeah. So but I Greg, I didn't know I didn't know this was a Stephen Chow movie. And so we get Stephen Chow's, and I didn't know that was Stephen Chow. So yeah. I didn't know, yeah. like, that guy who's playing this villain rolling around with his friend who has the big old axe tattoos. I didn't know he was the main character. <laughs> so I thought maybe this was going to be a Seven Samurai kind mm-hmm. of movie where, like, these three masters are now going to train the town to right. fight against. Because we get that moment where, like, the farmer woman steps up and punches him in the stomach and he spits blood, and she's like, I'm a farmer. And it's like, okay, maybe these townies are actually, like, all badasses, as it seems. Right. <laughs> like, when the old man steps out of the oh crowd, and he's buff, and then the <laughs> little oh. kid steps out, and he's buff, <laughs> and the other guy's, like, eight feet tall. God damn, that's so funny. And yeah. so, I didn't know what this movie was going to be, but I was really surprised when our three heroes were all killed all of a sudden. Yeah, it, it's great. And it really just ups like the ante, you know, because I think you said like um, when I watched it, I, it's really that's really cool watching it from my perspective, because I, I had seen this having seen Shaolin Soccer where Stephen <laughs> Shaw is also the star of that. And so as soon as he appeared, I kind of figured when I watched this the first time that he was going to be the good guy and eventually. And they do it really well where he's only pretending to be an Axe game member, you quickly learn. And so even though he is ostensibly the villain of that first scene in Pixie Alley, 
you come to still like him and be on his side pretty quickly. Um, I, 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 I really love that whole segment though, because, uh, I mean, you mentioned seven samurai, which was like remade as a Western. And then this whole segment to me is such a fantastic, uh, subversion of like the stranger comes to town trope that is in so many Westerns Mm -hmm. where like you have high plains drifter where Clint Eastwood rolls in and he is this deadly destructive force that cannot should not you know that is there to kind of like you know kind of wreak havoc on this town of sinners and buffoons and just like you know generally like uh bad people and in this case you have the stranger come in and he even gets like the sort of like badass mystery shot when he comes and you just see his legs and he and he uh stomps the soccer ball which no is more like a soccer reference to Yes, which is like which is a fun reference to Shaolin Soccer in its own on its own, but it's also like, you know, the villain like the, it's like the Western shot where you come in and you don't see his face for so long, uh, but then he's revealed to be the buffoon, and it's the town that it's badasses, and I can't think of many other movies that pull off a reversal like that, you know, um, so I, I think it's so smart in the way it references things too. It's not just pulling things for no reason just to be funny or just to be cool, you know, just to be like quirky. Like it generally, it genuinely does have a reason for making these references. It's, it's smart. Yeah. Each, each time I feel like I made an assumption about this movie, it would then flip it over. Yeah. So like, I, I assume that like, okay, the fat guy is not the ax boss, but once we get to the real ax boss, he's going to be a badass. But no, mm-hmm. then we meet the beast, and the axe boss is like nothing compared to the yeah. beast. And, and, and my assumptions just continually are changed. This movie really kept me on my toes, and I was laughing through the whole thing. And it's so stylized and so forgivable. Of like, I, I don't give a shit about like CGI because it's Looney Tunes. And so it's like when they're yeah. like running down the street, 150 miles per hour passing <laughs> trucks or whatever. It's like, yeah, it looks absurd, but it doesn't matter because this is like, we're living in imagination land in this yes. movie. And oh, it, totally. It, and so it it's just, it's a complete vision is what I really felt about this movie was just, it's one of those movies where I feel like a director had so many years to just sit and think about it like true detective season one or something and like just like completely (laughs) arc out their entire vision before making it and that's what we get in this it it, i it's it's pretty clear i loved this movie oh i'm so glad it, it feels like if uh from an american perspective if airplane or naked gun or like one of the zuckers brothers movies was actually a good action movie as well. Yes. Like, oh, it, totally. Yeah. It's got and all Naked the, Gun the is my all time favorite comedy. And yeah. that, so this, that's how this fits in with me. Yeah. So and there's like definitely there's definitely influence there too. Yeah. And you and still the have physical that, like, stuff at the at the end, the the foot stomps where he like flattens <laughs> people's feet like a like, like Wiley e. Coyote. It, Yep. There's so much goofiness, there's so much silliness, but then there's also darkness. Like the guy yeah. tells the wife of the the cowboy boss like, "Oh yeah, you can go." 
And then she turns right. around and he shoots her in the back with a shotgun. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> the, the genuinely ups- the genuinely upsetting moment too when the axe gang throws the mother and child in the ground and dumps gasoline on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it, it's crazy, and just the beautiful slow mo when during that moment the music is really kicking in, leading into the first master stepping up to like defend them. It's such a fucking. It gets you so excited for the action scene to follow because like. The axe gang it feels genuinely threatening in this, and then they do that again, where they become kind of jokes, right? Because they get fended off twice, and then the beat you see the beast for the first time, and his appearance is so comical with the flip flops and like the the tank top and everything, and then he's revealed to be super deadly and like an actual menace, you know. And like Bruce Lung is just incredible, and uh, God, I I really think it knows just the right level of like seriousness which to play things without sacrificing the comedy of it too like it's yeah it's and such a delicate balance balancing act it also has uh which is common through a lot of the especially the earlier kung fu movies the melodrama like with the mm-hmm. relationship uh that goes back to childhood uh and when the when the sucker drops and hits the yeah. ground it hurt my heart it it oh, genuinely yeah. it was like oh no it was an actual <laughs> moment it was like oh i f- i feel for this poor girl who yeah just wants the, to connect the flashback with scene when it, it's so it's adorable first of all the kid coming it's like it's really touching when he comes to her defense from the bullies and everything mm-hmm. and you feel so bad for him when he just gets the shit kicked out of him but it is also so funny that they take a piss all they yeah. pee all over him multiple too. kids yeah. pee on this kid <laughs> and it's really heart it's really heartbreaking but is really really funny too but then that's like yeah. but we learn that that's his origin story of like that's the yeah, day i it, learned that good guys don't win and i wanted to be yeah. a bad guy from that day forward and that's the thing is it's still so believable as like a turning point in his life too like as ridiculous as that is like yeah it makes so much sense and i think there's such a great um a, a lot of what i what i've learned there's a great video i recommend people to watch called um it's just called references in shaolin in not shaolin song uh, references in kung fu hustle by this youtube channel called accented cinema it, it's really great and i'm not just going to repeat everything it says because i want that video to stand on its own i don't want to just steal its thunder but it makes a great observation about like um, the three masters. All the styles they're using are like fairly grounded kung fu styles. Like the guy with the 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 tailor with the rings, that is like embodying like a Chinese philosophy of like strength through um, softness, right? Because it's like a mixture of like defensive and offensive styles, and um, it's even reflected in his being gay. Where it's that's like the he's man, the soft one. This man who is yes. on, often right. called fairy by the y- yes landlady. by the landlady. Yeah. yeah, but that re- that is reflective of his style. Where it's it's about it's not about brute strength. It's about the fluidity of it, right? And like the the soft like the, the idea that he's so agile and and uh, and quick, but also can like hit hard when he needs to. Um, anyway, it makes a great point about how those three guys are this more grounded sort of like um you know they're using actual kung fu techniques and uh each of them is a reference to different kung fu movies that feature those techniques like the guy with the pole is there's a great movie called eight diagram Diagram, pole fighter 
which is a, a real classic that I highly recommend, Sean. Um, so they're all references to like more grounded kung fu movies. And then you get the kung fu superpowers of the landlady and the landlord and the beast. And then seeing at the end, it makes a great escalation in that sense, too, of like, again, it's not just a love letter to kung fu. It's all Hong Kong cinema where there's a really there is a big distinction between more grounded kung fu movies and then the more ridiculous ones you know uh and this one pulls off both and and it builds to it in such a great way i thought the landlord's superpower was having very silky pajamas so that way all the punches <laughs> that hit him slid off of him yeah. when those two guys are fighting um mm-hmm. can i just say that this this movie i believe this movie takes place in canton but i never saw the pro football hall of fame anywhere <laughs> Well, I think it takes us in the 30s, too. So, you know, different times. Why do you look so disappointed? The Leatherheads era. Why do you look so disappointed, Josh? (laughs) Um, Greg, the the references. So there's eight diagram pole fighter. Um, Yeah. The the rings are 36 chambers, right? I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't seen 36 chambers, but I think I remember seeing that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I watched that not too long back, and that's immediately what I thought of. Um, which then, of course, is in um, Shang Chi from right. Yeah, they bring that the ten, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ten Rings, right? And then the kicks is there's uh, it's twelve kicks of something. I can't remember what the kicks are referenced to, but there, there's another film that those are referencing. Um, but uh, and then all of the superpower stuff. Like I, I uh, learned this when reading up on this movie, and I, I was actually re- rereading my notes from my Chinese cinema class. Uh, years and years ago at this point but there was a uh a chinese like pulp author who wrote a lot of like kind of swashbuckling like kung fu novels and so many of the powers and like the fake styles like the buddha's palm the lion's roar and all that stuff those come from his books and those were immensely popular in china and like had a lot of those adapted into several movies like there is a um Buddha's Palm TV series, as well as like a 90s remake of that series that I really want to see after learning more about this. Um, hey, buddy, what's up? The cat is trying to jump up and get my attention. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, the- I mean, it, the further you look in, like everything in this is a reference to something else. And uh, again, I highly recommend that accented cinema video because it's going to give you like a massive watch list <laughs> just pointing out what, you know, all the different movies that, that, that are being pulled from here. Um, I would recommend also, I haven't gotten very far into it, but, um, uh, Grady Hendrix wrote a book, co-wrote a book called these fists, these fists break bricks. Ooh, um, yes. I've heard of it. Yeah. I yeah. love Grady Hendrix. Yeah, I do too. I'm a big, and I, I mean, uh, I guess his other nonfiction book paperback from hell is like, just such yeah, a that's deep fantastic. Dive. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's another good resource, and and has a forward by Riza from the Wu Tang Clan, which yep. <laughs> fits right in with my early uh, exposure to to any of these things. Like when I actually went to seek things out, um, and you start going down the rabbit hole of what did they use for samples? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I, I I was kind of prepping a little bit today by listening to to some um, some of the Wu Tang Clan stuff. Yeah, I've done Thanks. that with the. There's a death metal band called Mortician, and they would often do like one and a half minute 
horror clip intros and play a one minute long song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up watching like Slaughterhouse um, and some other random ass movies from back in the day from that bit. I, I have to come. I, I teased it earlier, but there's another Bond actor in this movie. So the landlady, uh, she is in um, The Man with the Golden Gun. There's a segment where like, uh, so like the Bond movies at that point, uh, they just start pulling from what's popular at the time and just like shoehorning it into the movie. And so that came out in the early 70s when like Bruce Lee was taking off. And so there's a segment where Roger Moore really unbelievably is like, doing some martial arts at this like school and i think it's taiwan and um the landlady is is the daughter of a different character that comes in and saves his life and like you see her doing martial arts in the man with the golden gun and uh she has a pretty short filmography like prior to this but she was still like a legend in hong kong and like i said came out of retirement for this and it was like a a really really big deal um so this is like Stephen chow too like Shaolin Soccer became the highest grossing like Hong Kong film in in China at that point, and this surpassed it. So this is like he he had made a lot of movies before, including a Bond parody in the nineties. But this was like really cementing Stephen Chow as like a legend himself too. I'm just thinking of <laughs> there's a dumb Carl Pilkington moment where he. <laughs> says Roger Moore. I just... They want one of us to do an impression of Leslie Phillips. Can't do I, it. I, 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 it I doesn't mean... he say ding dong? And hello and all that. That's not bad. But, That's but nice. I want I want Carl to do it though. Yeah, go on, Carl. Go on. Hello. <laughs> well done. Say ding dong. <laughs> ding dong. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Do we do any other impressions? Um. No. <laughs> I, I can't go. Think of hello. Do that. Hello. <laughs> yeah, you look like a ventriloquist dummy. Hello. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> oh God! Do uh, my name is Bond, James Bond, as uh, as though it were Sean my Connery. My name's Bond, James Bond. Do that. Go on. My name's Bond. No, do it as though you were in doing an impression. Sean. I'm what? So I'm trying to be Scottish. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, sort of. Perhaps a bit more specific than that. Sean Connery. <laughs> my name's Bond. <laughs> not Keep not going. That's not my name's Bond, James Bond. <laughs> Thank Jimmy Stewart. It's not like this. This is the best fun. It's like yeah. having your very own Fisher Price toy for yeah, two exactly. hours a week. Exactly. It's great. Um, do um uh, uh Roger Moore do that? Uh, Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis Pierce, Percy Sugden. I'm I'm licensed to kill. Uh, anyway, anyway, she just said. No, this is a great no, game. No, no, that's yeah, no, we'll, we'll come it, back to this another time. Yeah, maybe. anything anything you want Carl, to do. <laughs> can't even get it out like no uh, you should you should splice these in here sean it, it'll be spliced <laughs> in don't worry i'm gonna edit around my okay, incompetence good, good. here as a host <laughs> <laughs> uh i like that shot where it goes around they live inside a, a traffic light apparently that's where he yeah. and his friend have their nest and in order to heal himself from his wounds and Poison lips from having two cobras bite his lips. Oh, he just, the reveal of the swollen lips. Oh it's my god, so Looney Tunes, and he just he just punches it all out. He punches out all the pain and all the badness, and then uh, he's good to go again. Oh my god, I was you know I was re- so 
our three boys, our three heroes, they they spr- they have their sparring session, and they all depart. And then the one young guy, the buff guy who was carrying the grains, walking away, and all of a sudden you see just some like blood splatter behind him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what? Hmm, what? And did the, someone did she did, see the shadow of the shadow of his head? Yeah, no, but <laughs> I, I, I was first too, like, yeah. oh, did somebody get killed behind him? And so, was, and then no, his head's just falling off. Yep, that was a shocking moment. Genuinely, because yeah, really I didn't, is. I yeah. didn't know this movie was going to do this complete reversal of character into the one. I thought our one character was just going to be like a side villain in addition to the main villains. Right. Exactly. Um, those, those musicians too are, they're a reference that they, they quote the blues brothers and are styled after them too. Oh, funny. That's which awesome. is such a funny place to, to pull from. And then you actually make them really intimidating. Like, uh, that that's great. And they also do the thing too, like they're blind, I think. Right. And they kind of have that comedy moment. They first appear. It's, like walking into each other and stuff. Yeah. When uh, when they sit down and they have the drinks and the one pushes the drink in front of the other one's hand as if one of them can see, <laughs> yeah. but the other one is really blind. I like that. <laughs> uh, but I know I love that. That that that. Oh, gosh. It's tough to say what my favorite part of the movie is, but I do think the musician fight is so beautiful in the way it plays out and how it just keeps like building and building to where you think, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe Donut can actually pull this off, but they just have another trick up their sleeves and it keeps escalating to the point where when they're, they're fighting the landlady and they're, they're shooting ghost skeletons out of their, out of their instrument, I guess. Uh, It's, it's hilarious. I love the way that builds. Um, I love that in order to supercharge herself, she inhales (laughs) an entire cigarette and then Anytime. in those shots where we see her stomach shrink and her boobs yes. get giant, her chest yep. inflates before she screams. Anytime I have ever, and still to this day, anytime I happen to be smoking something, I think of her inhaling that cigarette every <laughs> single time. Like, it, it is so ingrained in me. Uh, but yes, like, that's great. She references Bruce Lee when she's threatening uh, Brother Sum in, in, the, in the limousine. And just the comedy of that too—the great, the great cutbacks of them, where he's slapping his assistant out of the way because he can't see, you know—and the brilliant cut to him like shakily, like trying to light his cigarette and lighting him on fire. <laughs> and we just give an extra thirty <laughs> seconds of this comedy beat of them trying to put the fire out in the car. I thought we were then going to cut to him being like a two-faced villain, where half his <laughs> face had been burned off, but it's never referenced again. And the fact that yeah. he had apparently so much gel in his hair that he mm-hmm. was just a flammable candle. Yeah. But the idea um, that the other one tries to smother the flames and like you think it works for a <laughs> second and then he pulls back and his coat's on fire. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The actor, too, playing Brother Sum, you say you just watched Ip Man recently. He plays Bruce Lee in Ip Man, the guy, uh, the leader of the Axe Gang in this. Uh. And he he's such a really he's a really good villain. I love his disgusting teeth as a choice, you know. Um I really like in that scene before he fell uh catches on fire when the landlady appears in the car in between the yes. boss and his <laughs> lawyer accountant guy, 
and she silently hand gestures like basically like if either of you yeah come that's back that's here, bruce that's bruce yeah. lee and then, yeah. and then the nose flick at the end mm-hmm. that that little flick off her nose was the ultimate like fuck off <laughs> yeah josh do you remember which bruce lee movie that's from that's not enter the dragon but that's another one yeah i don't remember maybe maybe game of death it's it's become so mimified at this point. Yes, it's, it's one of those very common. Like, yeah, I love it. Yeah, um, I, I love the, it's so well paced to me too because you go straight from that to the really heartbreaking scene with the the adult mute girl um, and him robbing her, and then him. Uh, I think his his friend's name is Bone. They're, he's never named in the movie. Neither is Singh. But he thinks he's credited as Bone, the the larger guy. But it's that classic, like you know, I never loved you, go away and leave me alone thing. But he's trying to save him, which is really touching to me. Uh, but you go straight from that to like them recruiting him, and I just love that. Again, it, it's such a small moment; you don't need it in the movie. But like the ten, fifteen seconds he has standing alone in the club, just like kind of dancing to the music before he's called over and the camera's sort of spinning around him. It's so gorgeously shot and the music is so good and it, you don't need that scene, but it's just, I don't know. It's just like, we're going to sit here and enjoy this for a couple seconds, you know, before we move along. Josh, what did you think <laughs> of that bar with that bossa nova club? You beat me to it, Sean. <laughs> I paid attention this time. I was like, okay, notice the bar, notice the bar, notice the bar. <laughs> So my feeling about this bar is I would be vastly underdressed for, to go to this bar. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. It looks swanky as hell. I, it would be fun to go to if, you know, you get a group together and you all dress to nines, which I haven't dressed to the nine. I, I dress to the nines basically when someone gets married or right. that's, that's about it. So, you know, it'd be nice. I've lost some weight recently. It'd be nice to wear some nice clothes again. And You know, have you ever thought about just, like, wearing a suit? Just just to, like, wear a suit. You go out and you just wear a suit yeah. in your daily life. Have, have people when I, when people was... do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've never I... considered it, but I... Should I... Should I do that tomorrow? Should I... Like, when I go to happy hour... Should I should I just wear a suit tomorrow? Just, You'd stand out just to see um, what happens. But what would I, I was, know uh, where I live? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. My I friend, so. I my, so no, still. my friend would all laugh at me. They would. <laughs> <laughs> they ask, uh, "What's going on? Like, what are you going through that you feel the need to do this?" Right. I don't know, but maybe I just don't mention it. Maybe I just wear um, a suit. I was a I was a theater manager for a couple of years, and I had to wear a suit to to work every single day. Um, I don't think I ever looked great because I don't think my clothes ever like were, you know, tailored to me or anything. And it was a lot of just like off the rack stuff that fit. Okay. was kind of a little too baggy and whatever, but I would often, if I was going out after work, I would just not bother to change. So I would go out like in a suit sometimes and people comment on it and you get attention. So like, you know, there's good and bad things that come with that, but, uh, you know, it is a choice. Like I, I, I did it quite a bit when I was a theater manager. So, where, where were you a theater manager at? Um, it was a chain theater in uh, Thousand Oaks, California. Okay. When I started working there, it was called Movie Co. And I, I know there's a couple of those around the country. Um, 
but it was then bought out by a company called Carmike Cinemas, mm-hmm. which was then bought by AMC. So I briefly worked for AMC, and it was so fucking terrible working for AMC just in the transition that that's what drove me to quit. I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> During uh, what would have been 2000... 2010? No, it was before that. Um, I worked for Regal and had to wear a suit every day. Oh, and, and oh man. As, as a theater manager, they don't pay you suit-wearing money. No, not at all. <laughs> no. Which is why my suits looked bad. Yeah, because yes. it's all I could afford. Yeah. yeah. And they, uh, they had butter stains and ketchup stains and all sorts of shit on it because I'm still like in the back making food and, you know, spilling stuff on it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and did you ever have to run the projectors while wearing your suit? I did, yeah. Yep. Yes. I always was worried yep. I was going to get my tie caught. I like, I, oh, yeah. I would tuck it I know, into I my would, shirt. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So did you, did you, it was still film projectors for a little bit, right? When you were, the, when you were yeah. a manager. Yep. Are yeah. You, are, I, are you saying Josh is old? <laughs> no, no, no. I worked with film too. I did. I did as well. Because um, he is. I, well, <laughs> fuck you. No, I worked at, <laughs> I just, I worked at, I worked in a theater at the same time. I wasn't a manager yet, but I was, uh, I was a projectionist in like 2012 and my mm-hmm. theater still had filmed then. And it was like the last days of it. Like I got essentially demoted after they went digital. Cause I did, just didn't need as many projectionists. Cause you just have one guy just program everything basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm just barely old enough that I worked with film myself. Yeah. I think it was actually looking back. I would have had to been like 2005 that I first worked gotcha. at. And I also worked at a, um, it's now a, like a, a live theater thing primarily down in Franklin. Um, I managed that for a while too, just a little two screen theater. Um, oh. where that's where we do Rocky horror, uh, every other week. Oh, uh, oh man. And we had a lot of those kinds of, of showings down there. That was a fun place to work. A lot of the uh, <laughs> after hours drinking <laughs> encouraged by the owners, which is great. <laughs> I, I did that with my bosses too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I worked at was a second run, like three dollar theater, and uh, they used to do Rocky Horror as well. Mm-hmm. And eventually they they stopped because the crowds were getting uh really too wild for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, uh, I started dating somebody that told me that like. Oh yeah, I'm probably the reason that they stopped doing Rocky Horror at that <laughs> theater because I was caught doing something in the crowd. And I think that it like made them be like, "Well, we are we can't do this anymore." Uh-huh. Uh, so <laughs> as she never elaborated, happens. but yeah. right, yeah. The uh no, it would have been um yeah, it was 2005 because it was when uh Oh, 40 year old virgin came out. Right. Right. And we, I don't know if when you would string up, you'd get your, your films in for the week mm-hmm. um, and you'd have to build them up. Uh, yes. And would you run them the night before? Yeah. To make sure. Yeah. yeah. And that would always, they would always be like a, like employee screening essentially. Yeah. And that's when yes. you would come in with alcohol and sit and yep. drink and watch movies. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, People were like falling down, pissing themselves, laughing at 40 year old virgin. <laughs> but 
we had the same group of people who were practically weeping when we watched uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Oh my <laughs> also, god! Also, <laughs> also falling down drunk, but <laughs> those were good times. Oh man, I haven't thought about that for a while. No, I I love those employee screenings. Like I I I, I those were incredible. It's how I saw most movies those days. Was just mm-hmm. like the the week the day before it came out or the two nights before it came out. Yeah. Um, uh, I saw, I was, you know, a couple years, uh, like a decade or so after that, I was, I watched force awakens like three days before anybody else did because nice. we had to screen, you know, test, you know, screen it and test it out. So yeah, that was nice. You're like, no, I have to, it's part of my job. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I knew that Olivia Wilde died in Cowboys and Aliens before it was even theaters <laughs> because I had to watch some producer talk about it for 45 fucking minutes and transcribe it uh, all to text. And I was pissed oh off. I was like, I'm listening to this stupid fuck movie about something I haven't even seen. I have to watch it. But that's also where I learned about the Marvel Cinematic Universe was working at that place. I was like, oh, that's an interesting really? idea. Curious how that'll work. Didn't realize what it was going to turn into of just like a global dominant right. force that has consumed <laughs> us all. You know, maybe if I had wor- continued to work there, maybe I could have cashed in because that place has probably been busy for a long time. Except there haven't been because now, when's the last time you saw anything released with a behind the scenes featurette or oh, I know commentary or anything? I feel like even uh yeah even modern movies getting released on Blu-ray and stuff they really skimp on behind the scenes footage and things like that yeah um it's a shame man I I loved my DVDs and my commentary yeah. there's a lot you know there's a lot of commentary tracks that people have uploaded to YouTube and stuff that you can sync to right um, but it's I didn't realize that like giving up DVDs or physical media would be would be giving up all of that stuff too. Today, I mean, today I downloaded, um, or yesterday, um, Kung Fu Hustle, and whoever uploaded that included all the little featurettes, which oh, I did, which it. I didn't watch, but I'm glad to have them because I would right. actually be really interested. And I'm especially Gosh. with movies like these, these Kung Fu movies, like we talked about with the the end blooper reel of um, Super Cop. The making of them is sometimes even more interesting than the movie itself. Yeah, totally. Oh, oh, speaking of, I haven't watched it all yet. uh, And I don't know if we've talked about it at all, but the Avatar uh, has the new release. The digital release has like three hours of behind the scenes Mm. stuff. Oh, I want to watch that. The movie, I found the movie very boring and too long. Yes. But I would love to watch that. You know, Greg, it (laughs) It is is like, Greg, it was like the first hour. I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. And then, then the second act went on and on and on. I'm like, could we please get to the final confrontation? And also, (laughs) when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? A man completed the most incredible feat at the avatar screening i it's assigned seating so i go into my row and there's only like four people in this theater and the two guys that were two rows behind me on the computer screen i go to my seat and there's two guys sitting there in my row so i'm like right, right. Sure, whatever so i bounce back two rows 
and they're very nasally sounding. They sound just like <laughs> just just nasally. And one guy, <laughs> as trailers are playing, he starts snoring. Oh my god! And so I'm like, well, you know, it happens. And you lie down. His friend apparently just doesn't wake him up. The man snores for an hour and a half. They get up. Oh. I hear them. They go to the snack bar. I thought they were just leaving. He's like, I don't know. That's never happened to me before. They get up. They go to the snack bar. They come back ten minutes later. They sit down. And five minutes later, <laughs> he's asleep <laughs> again. Fucker slept until the credits. Oh, and his man. friend woke him up. He saw ten minutes of Avatar. The in the middle of it, and I started. To, I was sitting in the theater, and so I was, I was so annoyed and bored that when he started to snore really loud, I'd go. Whoop. <laughs> 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 Just. Just randomly oh. clap and go out nice to see if I could wake him oh up God. with enough to what? stop snoring. Like Kramer in the donut yes, shop? Yes, that's Is what it? I was yeah. referencing. That was Holy the moment shit. I was Joe DiMaggio with the Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <yep. laughs> this is what happens when you see weekday matinees. Is he just gets us some weird shit with people sometimes? I I was sadly the one I went and saw Infinity Pool a couple weeks ago or months ago at this point. I guess you hated um, that one, huh? I hated Infinity Pool. I didn't like it. To be fair, though, uh, I did doze off for at least a few minutes, and I did wake myself up snoring, like like a <laughs> kind of a thing. I woke myself up. I was like, oh shit, I've been asleep, and I also just made like a really loud noise. Um. So I was I I've been that guy. I mean, my family they dragged me to the past three Star Wars movies or two of them. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I I those movies were really wonderful for second act naps because the second <laughs> acts of those movies would just drag, and so I got I, used to it, especially in these new reclining seat theaters. Yeah, and so my brother in law, mm-hmm. we walk out of the theater, and he's like. Oh, what did you think of Yoda, mate? Because he's English. And I was like... <laughs> he's Australian? And I was like, Yoda was in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will say on the topic of behind-the-scenes stuff, The Last Jedi, the second one of those movies, has really great features on the, on the Blu-ray. Um, like, the best of any modern, like, modern Blu-ray I've bought for like a movie released in the past five or so years. Uh, there's a great commentary on it. There's some really cool. There's actually a feature documentary about the making of, um, and it includes like a score only version of the movie, which I can't imagine. The last time I got a Blu-ray of a modern film with just a completely different cut like that, you know, where it removes all the dialogue and sound effects and it's just mm-hmm. the score. Uh, like that's a it's a great it's an incredible thing to include in a modern release. Cool, I like that. Yeah, so then it yeah. just becomes a screensaver, kind of. Kinda, yeah, like an yeah. But it, but it really does show you too how it works visually, like the movie works visually and through the editing and stuff. Like, um, that's a movie I will talk about for hours and hours too. But uh, Kung Fu Hustle is that the one with green milk? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yeah. That that milk. I love it. Great joke. Oh. It's incredible. Is it? <laughs> oh, Sean. Yeah, it's so fun. Yes. Yeah, it's great. It's weird. I love that it's weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the meat yeah. thing. Kung Fu Hustle. I like, um, at one point, the landlady, we, when the beast starts fighting everyone, and the landlady tries to stab him with this wood thing, and he grabs it, and it's a cool CGI effect, but he twists the wood and it does oh, yeah. this corkscrewing splinter thing, which then ripples through people's clothing. And multiple times in this movie, people's clothing is disintegrated either by the landlady's lion roar that she yells at right. the guys through, or like when later when the, I was very curious what she was doing with this funeral bell when she keeps hacking at funeral oh, bell. God, that is and the, then that when, is the when coolest I, when thing. When you find out that she's turned it into a megaphone and just like yeah. destroys the earth and blasts it with this cone over her face and his clothes disintegrate off of his body. So cool. Uh, yeah, that is that is the greatest thing. That that fight with the beast is so good. I mean, um it's also where you first get like a that kind of classic, you know, one on one for a moment at least, and it's like two on one. But the sort of like traditional, like actual kung fu martial arts fight, you know, um, because like the axe gang fight, the axe gang guys are just like swinging weapons around. They're not doing actual kung fu, but that is like, you know, the actors are trained martial artists, and you actually see them like spar for a moment, and it's really, it's really fucking awesome. Uh, that I love the moment of of seeing attacking the beast with a piece of wood, and then literally getting his his head punched into the ground. Yeah, and he's about like five feet deep, and he still has the energy to like hit him one more time on the head with the wood. You know, like very very feebly. Uh, yeah, like again, even in this movie's like darker moments, it still has room well, for a little the, joke like where that. Where the beast punches the axe boss in the chin. Mm-hmm. And spins his neck around like 540 yeah. degrees. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He just he just like slaps him and his whole head spins. I loved it. Yeah. I think also just that I mean talked about just how funny Singh's lines are too when he's trying to posture as a tough guy. Like we had the whole scene with the with the, the villagers in the beginning, but then when he's talking to the beast and he's like, Hey, you ever seen a fist this big? This could do some real damage, you know. I l- um that scene where he uh, taps him on the forehead yes. and then runs away behind a suit of armor really made me laugh. Yeah. And then it's like, is, is he still alive or is he still breathing or something? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but then I, gosh, there's, I mean, there's so much I want to talk about. Like, literally every second of this movie, I could go on for, for hours about, you know. Um, well, I mean, after this, when we get our eyes all fucked up. Finally, I understand what the hell that title card sequence is with the butterfly flying around in the clips that spell out the name of the movie. When we see yes. our guy breaking out of his mummy bandages, for some reason, <laughs> someone wrapped him up like a mummy. And then, like, the cocoon metaphor with the butterfly breaking free. And now, right. and now he is the one. And we're just calling him straight up the one and right. dressing him a little bit neo-ish. Yeah. Oh, there's mm-hmm. a there's a shot. What's well, also yeah, it's also Bruce Lee's thing, which I think you know probably was Neo is also yeah, totally. by Bruce Lee too. But uh, the, there's a look at the butterfly. There's a shot. There was this Forrest Gump of all things too, 
with the uh, the I deaf girl watching that. the butterfly like float away in the flower yeah. petal. Yeah. It's like, like the, flower. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the Simpsons that starts with that whole intro, and then the the, the feather hits Homer straight in the eyeball. Hmm. Yo. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then we get to the final the final fight, which God, there's so many good little jokes in this, but when all the ASCII members are like they're congregating outside the one door and then it opens and the beast steps out instead of sing. Like this, it's such yeah, the, great little the editing. The songs of the lambs fake out. Yeah, exactly. Everyone realizes they've gone to the wrong place. Um, the fight is great. I think I kind of like, Mich- you know, we mentioned with Michelle Yeoh and super cop. I think Stephen Chow is not like a traditionally trained martial artist too. Uh, but I mean, you wouldn't be able to guess though, from this movie, like he really pulls it off. And, um, this like final fight, we mentioned the foot stamping. I love that we we undercut the beast in his like villainous moment where he's like trying to say, like, oh, you know, I know all your moves, but then he gets his foot stomped in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> yeah. Uh even his like his like toad style power is a reference to older movies too, where guys use similar things and like that's just like a classic like Chinese folklore ability too. Like it's so silly, but it does have like a like a place in in film in Chinese film history. Well, does getting launched into the air by a toad man and then jumping <laughs> off of the wings of an eagle is that is that also just a place in Chinese history? And then and then seeing I, a cloud of is it Buddha of Buddha? Yeah, and then right, and then okay, and then, so- and then reentering the atmosphere. <clears throat> With the reentry speed of a rocket, in order to cause mm-hmm. reentry burn as you fly through the yeah. atmosphere, to then cr- do a Buddhist palm to smash the ground. That's all. So, I, I'm not even jo- according to that video I'm talking about the references in Kung Fu Hustle. That is the whole Buddha's palm thing. It's it, it's like a religious concept, kind of, and it's also a folklore thing. Because in the classic tale of like Journey to the West, which is about this character called the Monkey King, who he he defeats every like Taoist god in heaven, and the one thing that bring him down is Buddha's palm, because Buddha in his infinite wisdom can contain the entire universe in his palm or something like that. So yes, kind of that is a reference to that is have a basis in actual Chinese folklore. Yeah, I dig it. <laughs> yeah, and I like that whole thing about like the buddhist palm which is like his character story as a kid was a 20 cent pamphlet that was just like some con man (laughs) (laughs) well and and of course the con man has a basis like that's an archetype in a bunch of in a bunch of films too like it's yeah like literally everything in this movie is piecemeal from something else you know to create like a greater whole yeah but then i i go ahead that's heat he is he is the uh the the peddler guy is the fight choreographer's brother. Oh, so I didn't read that one. That's cool. Yeah. Oh. As I looked that up because I was uh looking up Yin Wu Ping to make sure that he did the burly brawl and this yes. fight because Yeah. Yeah, but there are goofs on it or this is a goof on that one, which is but it's still so fun. Oh yeah. Like Well, I that, I think it keeps fun yeah. because like the end message of this movie here 
especially with this being Buddhist power, is even after the beast asks to surrender and then breaks that surrender treaty and tries to stab him with the pen knife, he's mm-hmm. that's his whole that's his still, whole move. He palm moves right next to the beast's head and blasts a palm hole through a building, which is awesome. Uh, it looks it looks it's so, so cool. Yeah. Oh, and the beast stumbles to his knees and he says, "Do you want to learn? I'll teach you." Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and which I, that gets me to get that gets me choked up. It was up nice. It was yeah. nice. Oh, I got I got a little misty eyed at the end of this movie mm-hmm. when they're. The two of them, Sing and the mute girl, are in the street. And when that camera yeah. revolves, and they both go back to being kids. Not oh, even that I'm God, like again, that invested in their story, but it just right, yeah. It, but the, that what's selling it there is that the music is so good right there. The music is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like it, it really hits you with like the the heights of the romance that. Is barely in the movie. I mean, she appears three times. We know, you know? nothing about uh, her. <laughs> yeah, just that she's mute, right? Yeah. But she that the fact that she was so moved by him trying to save her that she saved the sucker the into all those years, you know, um, is great. Uh, we even talk about there's the, the wonderful shot too when he's robbing her, and they're standing in front of like a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers poster. So it's like again, even at the even at it's like most dramatic and like serious. You know, it's a very sad scene, like seeing him rob this girl he like tried to protect as a child, and we still pull back for a joke like that, uh, where he's holding her in the same position. Like it's yeah. I meant I to look it. up Top Hat, the poster, to see if that also had like a plot relevance or something to this one. <laughs> if see if Fred Astaire like Buddha palms through a building <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Oh, speaking of like musicals and dancing too, just the the fucking great title sequence of the Axe Gang dancing, and it's it's shot like West Side Story. Oh, it, it, like there's seriously, yeah. there's no end to his references it, and what he's what he's taking. It from. reminded me of uh, Gamer. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, you're, you're alone on that one. I don't, I have not seen Gamer. I can't. You guys uh, aren't Neville Dean Taylor heads. I'm a Neville Dean Taylor completionist. <laughs> Uh, there's a, there's a scene in Gamer where Michael C. Hall, is he Dexter? Uh, yes. Uh, he's yes. the main villain. Not Anthony. And he has one. all of his henchmen, and there's like, like a whole on dance number out of fucking nowhere in this movie. Oh my and god. And it's just because they're clones, and so they're under his mind control, and so he's trying to right. prove to Gerard Butler that like, they'll do whatever he thinks. And so he does a whole choreographed dance routine with them. It's Neville Dean oh and Taylor Cokeheads. I'm really sad they broke up. <laughs> Please, boys, make Crank Three. Please, the world needs Crank Three. I would love. I would love to see a Crank Three. Crank High Voltage is one of the only movies I've ever seen alone in a theater. Really? No. Like, like nobody else in no. attendance? <laughs> no. Wow. Uh, speaking of those like those late night screenings I did and uh, like crying at one of those, I <laughs> it's a silly one to have it happen to. But, you know, it's that era of Pixar where it just happened. But I, I was the only one who went to that test, like the you know the late night screening of, of Finding Dory, 
and there was a point where I broke out weeping and I just like looked around at an empty theater and I was like, this is fucking so sad. This is such a weird place to be in right now. I am sobbing alone watching Finding Dory in this massive theater. It's okay. Josh would just be sobbing looking at his iPad next to two people in the middle of them on an airplane. (laughs) This happens more often than I care to admit. Hey, do you know that Josh watches movies for this podcast? On an iPad while he does dishes? No, I mean, hey, that's efficient, man. I get it as, like, somebody who has to watch movies for, for you know, for the show, for my show. Like, I don't only have to watch one a week. You well, know? That, so we're, I, I we're, understand. We're, you, gotta, you gotta fit in where you we're can. We're one a week, too, though. Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, I guess, guess it's kind of true. Yeah. 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 All right. But still, I mean, it's still, even then it's, it's an ask and you have to fit in where you can. There are times where I had to do it at work when I get downtime at work and I have a second monitor. And so I'll be like typing an email or something while watching a movie for this show. So I, I understand doing other things while doing it, you know? Yeah. But do you know, one of my I, hobbies I to is admit. to exclaim to my friends who have kids, mm-hmm. where's all your free time? <laughs> i'm sure they all nice. love that they do it never gets old for them <laughs> that's uh so i didn't even mention it my i got a new job uh as an editor Ooh. so i now have um i've got a big 4k tv above my desk and i'm getting in uh, two more smaller monitors for uh, editing and color correction. Yeah, uh, but today was very slow. None of my none of my doodads showed up from Amazon uh, or B and H. So I sat there and I watched uh, the end of Supercop oh, on my awesome. iPad <laughs> while I had the <laughs> Red Sox game going on the TV. <laughs> A friend of mine too who works in um in uh music production he was showing us today that yeah he had baseball on while he was also like mixing some audio and stuff like he showed us his setup like the picture yeah. of it. it was very similar yeah the nice thing was i walked across the hall to like i felt a little bad about it because i'm like it's it's dead though i'm not you know i did yeah one, yeah one edit yesterday there was nothing came through today and i'm waiting for my shit to show up and um but then i walked across the hall and my boss was watching uh, another game. And <laughs> then down the hall, I stepped into someone's office to ask another question. And she's watching uh, the newest Spider-Man movie. Oh, on her, love it. On her office I mean, that's, TV. That's, this is exactly how my office is, too. And um, if I could just brag for like a second, I became known as like the person in the office that I'll just watch anything mm-hmm. like. I'll I'll just have it on and the way my office is set up like uh my desk is facing a wall and then people are walking into my office and you can easily see whatever I'm looking at on screen. It's a little irritating that way. Yeah, but yeah. I you know, but whatever. But um it got to the point where everyone would just come up and ask me like what's on today? What are you watching today? Cuz like any moment I get free time, I'm usually watching something. Mm-hmm. Um cuz I just have to fit it all in, you know. I can't I can't ever sit still and be with myself for a second. Uh, no, it's uh, terrifying. But I have a whiteboard above my above my computer that I, I I drew a whole like little marquee thing and I just have a now playing up there and I just anything I'm watching I write so I don't have to answer the question every single day. 
because I have multiple coworkers coming by and they'll, they'll peek in and be like, oh, okay, today it's John Wick 2. Okay. <laughs> you know, nice. like they'll just have the see, they just the glance I didn't see when I'm watching. Because uh, everyone just knows in the office, like I'm, I'm the one always, always having something on. I four hours of sports podcast a day, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to get through life. Yeah, that's the thing. It's 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 a movie. If I'm between movies, it's I'm listening to the podcast. Yeah, I it my amount of podcast consumption just drastically increased during quarantine <laughs> and now it's like i'm still socializing but the amount of podcasts i listen to has not decreased and it's, now you're socializing while creating podcasts so, you know you've come you've successfully combined look at us things. huh yeah. look at us what a world <laughs> amazing a couple of californians cutting it up with a tennessean <laughs> Uh, do you guys got anything else for this one before we wrap up? Um, just strictly how joyous this movie is. Mm-hmm. That's that is the word that kept coming to mind. Was like both of these made me giddy. Like just yeah. like <laughs> this is so fun. This is some awesome shit that's happening. But this one, we, we've had especially. two fu- very fun weeks of the show now. And it's like, yeah. oh, man, this is going to be so fun to talk about instead of like, oh, let's talk about two old people dying in each other's arms. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the but next I like that. I, 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 I love that our show will swing t- wherever it needs to, you know, for me, like, I just uh, God, I, I cannot say enough how mind-blowing it is that just this works on so many levels as like uh, a bunch of in-jokes essentially and kind of like uh, you know uh, references that only a very select group of people will understand but it also completely works just as a movie outside of those two on a in a much much broader sense like there's nothing more impressive to me than that where it's the ultimate fan love letter to kung fu cinema but you don't need to know anything about Kung Fu in order to to absolutely love it, like I did as a kid. I would love to host my friends in my backyard for a backyard movie night on a projector. And yeah. this would be a, a great one to do in a month or two when it warms up a bit. Four and a half for me. I, I Greg, you you've brought two four and a halves to me. You're you're on a <laughs> you're on a hot streak here. Um uh. This was a this was a great one. Loved it. And like you said, Josh, just felt so much love and positivity flowing out of this one especially. Not quite as much as the Jackie Chan one. Like it it's there, but this one it's there like in abundance and it's there in the presentation and the style and the homages to so many things and the performances and and even the in every time you think a character is going to be shitty, they turn out to be not quite as bad as you expect them to be, like the landlords and the gangsters, and it it's just it's just kind of a nice place to exist in, even with this ultra violence level that surrounds it. Yeah, I'm I'm going for on it, uh, Greg. Thank you for bringing this one because. It's one I've overlooked for so long because I thought it was going to be like strictly a little kid's version 
you know what I mean? Like I yeah, kind of sub sub uh, Roger Rabbit level of execution <laughs> and everything. Uh, I did not expect it to be as as cool as it is and as well done as it is. So thank you. Oh yeah, of course. I'm I'm so I'm very happy that it, it hit with both of you guys. I, it's I I can't go any less than a five for me. And understandable. Um, it, it, it's possible that there's just a heavy, heavy dose of nostalgia. Like I said, like at one point, this was one of like three DVDs we owned uh, when like we were first getting into collecting DVDs and stuff as a fan. You know, like when my when my dad was like he bought a DVD player for the family and was like regularly purchasing stuff. This was an early one we had, and it was just like a in heavy, heavy rotation. And my whole family loved it. We could all watch it at any given time. There's. I, I just confirmed with my brother yesterday that we still both remember this, but there was a moment where um, my brother and I were both together in the same room, but he says we were watching or doing something that related to Kung Fu, but in my mind, we were doing totally separate things, like not even looking at each other. But I was thinking about this movie and I just said out loud, like apropos of nothing, I was just like, hey, you know, it's a really good movie. And he immediately just turned. It was like Kung Fu Hustle. Like we were just both <laughs> thinking about it for no reason. He says there was something that spurred that thought. But I, in my mind, it was literally just it came out of nowhere. And we were both just on the same page for no for, you know, for who knows why. Um, so like, uh, but I had to say five and it just, it just continues to amaze me. The more I go back and watch Kung Fu movies, this just gets better because you realize like, Oh, Kung Fu Hustle later then paid tribute to it in a very loving way. And uh, that's just is so, yeah, I, I think everything about it is so impressive. Today's episode made me want to watch more Kung Fu movies because I think they're more accessible than I previously thought. Yeah. And they just look cool seeing people's arms move really fast <laughs> it, it looks cool what can i say yeah i i highly recommend to just like I, it's getting it's thankfully it's getting much easier these days to watch them in the original chinese language because uh it really helps you take them the appropriate level of seriously you know i think so it I think Kung Fu Hustle was really helped today by me being able yeah. to watch it in Chinese language. But I, but I also recommend the dub for, for Kung Fu Hustle. That's a weird case where I, I'd say no matter how you watch it, it's totally fine. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong, but I think Stephen Chow dubs himself. Um, so it's not too jarring for him, at least. Uh, but I, I, and this is a weird case, kind of like Drug War 2, where I loved Drug War, but I've seen no other movies by that director. I have only still seen Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle, and he's made a lot more movies after this, and some of them very highly acclaimed, like The Mermaid, uh, but I just have not yet dove into the rest of his projects. We'll get you back on the show, and we'll, we'll watch The Mermaid at some point. Uh, or The God of Cookery is one I hear is great, yeah. Uh, I, right I do have to say, if you haven't seen any other Johnny Toe movies, though, throw down. If okay, if, if you want Throw something down, yes. that has totally different vibes than Drug War, much closer to what we watched today, like okay, yeah, it's I, it was it surprised me coming from Johnny Toe, like it's it's a very awesome. warm movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I I meant to say it when you asked about Shaw Brothers earlier, but I recently bought Arrow, uh, 
Arrow Films put out this like Shawscope collection in two volumes, and I have volume one. I bought it on like a steep discount, mm-hmm. and um, I've only watched one of them so far, and I had seen it before, but it was great to see it in the Arrow gorgeous like uh, HD transfer they had. But I had watched a uh, King Boxer, mm-hmm. which is also called uh, Five Fingers of Death, which is fucking great. That is a great, great movie, and one I recommend you you check out, Sean. Uh, eight diagram pole fighters in that set, isn't it? I think it might be in volume two. Okay. Yeah. But volume one does have mighty Peking man, which is like a King Kong ripoff, which I'm very excited to watch. Yeah. Josh, what are we doing next episode? We're doing (laughs) DOS boot and Uh, we discussed moon. Mm. Oh yeah. Moon. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, We're going to, we're going to do the three and a half hour cut of DOS boot. (laughs) And Moon, which is hilarious that Das Boot alone is longer than both of today's movies combined. <laughs> oh, God. That's, <laughs> Greg, mean, have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's been, it's been, I've been putting it off for the, that exact reason. Like, Same. I've been yeah. putting it off for like decades. Uh-huh. And now this show is a good reason for me to like force myself yeah. sometimes to watch some of these I, things. I will say, I mean, like recently John Wick 4 reminded me, okay, I can do three hour movies if they're good because... I could have watched another. I could have watched a five-hour cut of John Wick Four. I love mm-hmm. it so much. Um, I'm gonna go next week sometime oh, to see it. Oh. I, I I'm not exaggerating when I say like I actually teared up during an action scene in John Wick Four because I was like, this is so good. Like it's just so beautiful. Like and yeah, it's amazing. And it's got okay. I mean, obviously John Wick has always had a kung fu bet bent to it, like an you know hong kong action cinema influence but four actually has donnie yen like being donnie yen and it's absolutely incredible it 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 has to compete with the raid two. that's I, the bar for me it surpasses raid two i think it's i i think it, it beat it for me that's bold <laughs> that's bold, bold. it made me want to watch raid two again for sure um which i'll i'll, I'll definitely have to, have to put on again soon I sometimes just sit and think about Hammer Girl things that happen in the raid too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Same, just, and just sit and wonder and think about it. Like that's, that's or been some me. of the violence that I've yeah. seen in the raid too, and just like holy fuck. Uh, that's been me with. It's only been a couple of days since I saw it, but that's been me with John Wick Four. There's just parts of it. I'm like, oh my god, like that was. I need to rewatch three. I only saw three once in the theater, I yeah. think. But that the dog shit in three is so cool. Three is great. Three I, has I, I love the, the I first love the like twenty five minutes of three when he's on the run is so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Greg, do you have anything else to plug? Oh, please plug your um your podcast. Yeah, the weekly podcast massacre. Every single month, we choose a new like theme or genre or category that four horror movies fit into and uh this past month from march i think it'll be april when this comes out but our 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 latest month was maniac march and so that was all movies with serial killers without like a supernatural bent and um coming out the day this is released we actually did a double feature episode where we watched uh the 1980 maniac with joe spinell and then the 2012 maniac with elijah wood and um I I love both those movies. Oh yeah. So hey, the episode's out now. It just came out today. 
Um, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, and I, I did 1980 Maniac is awesome. It's so good, so good. Yeah, and then like the the Elijah Wood one, I only saw it once because honestly, I'm like. That this is pretty mean spirited. Oh I'm a I, little uncomfortable yeah, watching this. It, it had been a long time since I saw it, but I saw that one first. Um, that t- that soundtrack oh, in the ooh, Elijah excellent. Wood one by Rob, totally, ooh, yeah. yeah, so good. Yeah. And I feel like uh, kicked off like because that came out 2012. So that really kicked off like a decade of like synthy 80 scores. Honestly, it's like that and it follows. Yeah, I feel like really hit. But the synth yeah, there wave. there are kills in the in the new Maniac that I was like. This is there's a moment where someone gets strangled, and because it's all POV, you're right in her face, and you see her turn purple, and you see the bruises on her neck when he takes his hand away. And I'm like, like it was so upset, it was stomach churning, and it's it went beyond the original in that regard. And I was shocked to remember, like, oh, this is actually more fucked up than the original at times, like in terms of the violence. Totally, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. But that shotgun blast in the original. That's the thing. I think the original ends up being darker because it's it feels grimier and and well, it's just anything set in 70s New York. Exactly. Wins in terms of just feeling grimy and gross and gritty. Um, So it's like nothing can compete with 70s New York. Yeah, but I I really like the episode we did on it. And I did a real intense deep dive into Joe Spinell, like the actor who plays uh, Frank. Oh, I would yeah i'm and curious about he's that. a fascinating guy so i i give a lot of joe spinell facts in that episode awesome well uh, i will absolutely be checking that out in the next few days also the 2012 maniac the 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 choke victim is played yeah. i believe by megan duffy who yes. has a featured role in the reenactment which i shot hey oh that's awesome hey. there we go oh i love that there we go um so we got das boot and we got moon next episode josh you want to bring this one home greg thank you so much oh, for listening. anytime yeah of course or listening training. <laughs> i do listen though for well you know you do listen <laughs> yeah. though and i i really do appreciate the fact that you listen not many of our guests do <laughs> i'm happy that you watched the movies that's that's yeah. a bar to clear sometimes, even. I, I, I will say there's been some I've had to skip because I'm like, well, I haven't seen one of the movies yet and I want to watch both because I, I hate splitting episodes up. So there's mm-hmm. a couple I, I have to jump around here or there, you know, and yeah. I, but I always go back once I finally see the movie. Yeah. All right. Well, for Greg, for Sean and for myself, I'd like to say stay safe out there. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Love y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.